humanism. So humanism. That would, be, it would be just the belief that humans should do anything within their power to further the longevity of the human race mm. with the ultimate goal being that the more harmonious, more peaceful the human race is, mm -hmm. the more we can focus on the science and all this stuff to figure out through a scientific method why we are here, right. who brought us, who made us, those religious existential, yeah. why are we, yeah, the, the who, what, where, when, and why. That was Greg Collins. I am your host, Michael Dunphy, and this is the Further Liberation Podcast. The music you hear in the background is from an artist named Ketza, and the intro song itself you'll hear after this was created by my friend Blair Gowdy and I. I have known Greg since we were teenagers, and I have always had great discussions with him. So after meeting last year to talk about the upcoming Canadian election, I realized he would be a great first guest on this podcast. We talked about a number of things, including politics, different types of government, work, and what we want to do with our lives, and even a little bit of spirituality. I hope you enjoy. Here is my talk with Greg Collins on the first official episode of the Further Liberation Podcast. Big questions. Yeah. I think you should start off with that, though. Well, I got nothing to say, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to talk to you. All right. Okay, so, well, you know, that's what I, I have the most interest in, is those types of topics, you know? Yeah, I'm yeah. really interested in, like, changing the world, essentially. Like, I don't necessarily think it's, you know, I'm not saying it's bad and it's got to change. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I just, uh, every conversation I have in general is usually about, you know, um, talking to people about, what they want to do to change themselves or what they want to do to change the world or mm -hmm. contribute to something better in general. Right. So the reason why I brought up the whole work thing is I know that that's where you are like focusing your expertise right now, let's say. Yeah. Like that's where you're putting a lot of, I guess your research and your time and, and your thoughts into. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I guess to rehash what we've discussed before. Yeah. I went from having, a well-paying job that was, I guess what you call soul sucking to <laughs> right. having an all right paying job. Now that is like a creative outlet. And like at the end of the day, you get to step back and you see what you've done. Right. Like you see, and I guess for you, you're doing drum lessons and stuff. So you yeah. get to see the progression of a student from mm -hmm. not knowing what the hell any drum is to knowing how to play. Drums, yeah, right? exactly. So like, I'm working on a TV show. It's not exactly my ideal creative outlet. Right. But. But it's much more creative than what you had before, which was what? Insurance? Insurance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's not so creative. what exactly did your job entail beforehand? For insurance? Yeah. So that was a cubicle job. You're on the phone all day and you would take like 30 to 35 calls and you would either be talking to someone who already had insurance like they change their car or they move their house and, or they're moving houses and they have to transfer their services to the different shit. Right. Right. Or you were selling things. Okay. So did one you sell? Of, yeah. So it was even as a service person, you had to sell. Right. They had dedicated salespeople outside of that. So that kind of segues into the fact that for me to get paid, say it was like $45,000 a year. Mm-hmm. 
I had to sell $250,000 worth of insurance. Oh. Right? But did you get a rate as well? You would get like little bonuses and, and, and yeah, like kickbacks oh, okay, for gotcha. doing that. But it was stuff like that that made me really skeptical about this whole like corporate world and mm. what they were like selling as, you know, this is your way to make a lot of money, mm-hmm. retire early and have the life that you want. But it's like you don't get any time off from that job. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, a roommate of mine at the time or shortly before that, uh, he's what you would call maybe a big bit of a communist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he turned me on to like the fact that in today's society, when you work for pretty much anybody, mm-hmm. you are selling your time. Right. Because the work that you're doing for them and the amount that they pay you for that work is worth less than the value that you created for their business. Okay. Right? Yeah. So uh, I would create two hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of insurance premiums mm-hmm. at that insurance job, but they only paid me forty five thousand. Right. Plus, on top of that, I was servicing their customers. You know, like doing the customer service side of it. So that's got to have a value. It's harder to value that type of stuff, but it has value too. So I was putting two hundred plus thousand dollars worth of value into the stockholders' pockets. Right. And everybody who worked there was too. And at the end of the year, they'd say, well, the company wasn't all that profitable. But meanwhile, all the people at the top were getting million-dollar bonuses. Right, right? okay. So you say that you started, like, you were, in order to get 45 or whatever it was a year, you had to sell a certain amount. What, like, if I guess assuming that if you didn't sell at all, you would just be let go. Yeah. You'd have a year-end review and be like, well, you only sold two. Was there, like, a trial period? There was to see if you could there sell was a six-month uh, probationary. So okay. that's like most jobs have a three- to six-month where they can just cut you off. Right. Let you go because okay. you're not working out. Six months. But after a year, they'd do a performance review, and it was always like if your service numbers were good and your sales numbers were good, you got to keep your job. There's never a huge bonus or a huge raise right. that was at the end of that. You right? just get the 45 minimum that you're supposed yeah. to get. There were bonuses each month if you went above and beyond that sales quota. Gotcha. But in, in no way commensurate to the amount you were selling for them, right? Okay. If you sold 50% more than you were supposed to, you'd get like a $500 bonus. From, uh, in a month? Yeah. Okay. But the 50% more than what you were supposed to was like $15,000 worth of insurance right. premium. Right. So it's nowhere correlated to the actual numbers no. that you're selling it there. Yeah, exactly. So you just started to see the unfairness yeah. in that. And then I got fired from that job, and I ended up on EI, and I poured a lot into my artwork that I was doing, woodworking mm. and stuff like that. Right. And then from that, I had uh, I'd made a few things and sold them at like craft fair prices, and a local gallery, cracking gallery, shout out, yo. <laughs> <laughs> um, they I contacted them, I believe, about possibly putting my work in their gallery, and then they like had a chat with me, and the prices that they were landing on for my artwork, I was like, no, that's too too much. Like, I don't oh, they believe. were looking to like, I guess, make some for themselves so they would up the price that you would partially yeah there's like a 70 30 that's which is like generous off the gallery right usually it's a 50 50 for art galleries they take half of whatever they're selling it for Mm -hmm. so yeah there had to be a bit of a bump up so that i would still get what i wanted right but at the same time it was like it opened my eyes to the fact that 
because there was an artistic value behind it, it wasn't mm -hmm. just, I was just looking at it as the wood and the paint and the time that went into it. Right. And I would have sold something that was two feet by two feet for a hundred bucks. Right. But if you look at any art gallery, that's like a 300, $400 piece minimum. Oh, okay. Right. right. And so I was really skeptical of that, but at the same time, it made sense uh, because that's, I guess, the labor that goes into the piece, right? Yeah. So the easiest way to look at that is you can take wood and you can make it into a chair. The cost of the wood is much less than the cost of the chair. At of the, course, in the yeah. End, right? Because it took someone's creative ability to turn it into a chair. Mm -hmm. And that's like right back to the beginnings of communism, like Karl Marx. That's what he was writing about, right? It was mm -hmm. like the only thing. So Cohen's home furnishing, they don't actually make their furniture but say they did they had mm -hmm. like the furniture factory they would buy all the wood get their workers to make them into chairs if ten dollars worth of wood turned into a hundred dollars worth of chair mm -hmm. and they paid the worker ten dollars you know eighty dollars where'd the eighty dollars go it exactly. went to the guy who didn't do anything so he just had was your money. reluctance to take that deal that they offered you uh basically around the idea of you didn't want to sell your art for that much? Partially. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that was me still buying like still thinking the that I could make so many of these pieces of artwork that I could like support myself on it. Right. That like, well, okay, if I make ten a week and I sell them at this cheap. Right. But then that's like the rules of supply and demand don't work for that, right? So for, for artwork, not everybody wants one of those icebergs that I make oh, okay, in their yeah. house, right? Yeah. I got to make enough and make them well enough and put them in the gallery and let them sit there for maybe two years mm. until the person that wants it in their house buys it for more money than I think I should sell it for, right. but an amount of money that is reflective of the fact that yeah, it was in a fucking gallery for so two that, years. That explains the markup as well, is that you'd be <laughs> yeah. sitting and waiting a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, I'm, as an artist, I'm not putting up any overhead on that other than the overhead to make the piece. Right. The gallery owner has to have lease space and wall space, which is real estate, for that piece to go up, which is why they get their 30%. Gotcha. Which is fair. Yeah. More than fair, honestly. So you weren't? When you were doing it yourself, you didn't find it was enough to sustain yourself? No. God, no. So then you looked. And then, is that what led you to this job you have now? Or is sort of. Or something else there? This job sort of came out of desperation. Right. Because, yeah. uh, my ER <laughs> As <was> many ending. <laughs> do. Yeah. And our uh, buddy Nick, who works in the film industry, yeah. got me that job. Right. And uh, I'm... I know you told me not to hold anything back. I'm not going to talk any specifics about the job because there are like non-disclosure agreements. Right, exactly, shit. yeah. But it's a TV Anything show. Anything you're legally not supposed to say, you know, <laughs> yeah. don't say it. It's a TV show uh, based in St. John's mm -hmm. and it's on a major Canadian network. Right. <laughs> and it's really cool. Yeah. It's a cheesy cop drama. Yeah, right? yeah. But, it's really, but you enjoy doing it. Oh, man, it's so cool. So what is your role exactly? I'm a camera trainee. 31 years old and I'm a trainee <laughs> and it's awesome. Like I'm lowest of the totem pole in the camera department. Right. But, but you went in there with no, uh, none. qualifications. Let's I say. didn't know. Like you don't have any training in no, like any sort of, and not at all. Arts no, or anything I like thought that. I, I thought I would have known a bit going in. Mm -hmm. Didn't know a damn thing. <laughs> right. I knew what the difference. Nick went to school all. for it, right? 
Or he did uh, some he sort- went to school for like sound stuff, and oh. I think that's how he first started in the industry was with uh, sound okay. different departments. That's how he got his foot in the door. How a lot of people do like different departments over a while, and then they find the department that they want. Mm-hmm. Camera's the one where the money is. Oh, so. I see. Okay, <laughs> so, so you're working uh, way up to that. Yeah, you got to work your way up, and like I will end up being a trainee now for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and it's the most physically demanding job in the department, probably, other than. Some camera operators have to carry like a fifty-pound camera most of the day. Really? Yeah. So nice. like I always like I've seen this stuff. Like I've seen it in I don't know I guess documentaries on filmmaking or whatever like that. Yeah. I you know it's like behind the scenes type stuff. You see these massive cameras and it makes you wonder like when that's the way it was when we were younger. Like cameras were the size of a, you oh, know, a bed. <laughs> oh yeah. Now, like I would think that with the advancement in technology we've had that cameras would just keep getting smaller and smaller. Cause even the iPhone camera is really, really impressive. You know yeah. what I mean? What it can do. It's crazy. So I would think that like even in television or movies or whatever, the camera would just keep getting smaller and smaller, it's, but you still do see, you know, like I've seen a picture of you at work where you're next to a camera and it's like on a stand and it's like six feet tall almost. Or, oh, it's huge. Right. Yeah. So, and some of the cameras, and that's one thing that it's almost you would think an industry so reliant on tech technology would advance really quickly. Yeah. And that the cameras I'm seeing at work would be not way more nuts than anything a consumer could buy. We're still using cameras that are like 20 years old. Really? It's crazy. Why is that? I don't know. I think it's because the lenses and things like that are mm-hmm. really what depend, like give you the image mm-hmm. or that these cameras are such workhorses that like, there's no need to upgrade them. Like it's clearly a high oh, definition. Oh, I see what you mean. Like they were made well, so why would you get new? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, and they're really expensive. Like when they were first made twenty years ago, they were like seventy five thousand dollars each. Mm-hmm. Now you could probably get one for thirty thousand. Yeah, like, okay. It's but the lenses that go on it are like ten thousand dollars each. Oh, wow. The monitor, so like a little seven inch screen, so that they can see what is actually being shot. Yeah, it's probably like two, three thousand dollars. It's mm-hmm. it's crazy, and. uh yeah, it's it's um, it's one of those jobs that's like really mentally and physically demanding, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. And you work twelve to sixteen hours. So last week I worked seventy one hours. Oh my god, in a five day week, <laughs> seventy one wow. hours. So you basically you start your Monday, you work, you go home, you sleep, you wake up, you go back to work. Like, right. There's times Nick has told me that like when he was in Toronto, the commute back. To where he was supposed to sleep plus the commute back to work in the morning would have taken like two hours out of his night mm. so he just slept on the truck like, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but it's cool i don't know yeah. it's like well, you're enjoying your job so it keeps you doing it yeah and like it hasn't happened yet but uh in the new year my name will be in the credits of a network ah, tv show cool <laughs> i'm not the actor i'm not the producer right but it's like will it say camera trainee or yeah camera trainee greg collins okay cool that's your boy uh <laughs> And it's like, that's cool. But I think for someone like me who looks at it as all of those little efforts create the whole yeah. in this like commune of work, right? Um, that is really cool to me. And there's a lot of people at work uh, who I guess are jaded. They've been in the industry a long time. Mm. And I don't think they really see that as the like, cool, we're like creating something. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. going to be around forever. Even if it is in like a vault and, right. or no one gives a shit about. Or it's know. in the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to exist for almost ever. It's, yeah. it's really cool. It's like, 
I, when I went to school for architecture, that's why it was like, cool. I want to be able to like work on a building oh, and 20 yeah. years from now, be driving down the road and be like, I designed yeah. the third floor bathroom on that. Right. One, you yeah. Know? yeah. Which is how old timers who worked at like the Ford factory right. for 50 years. He's like, well, I put the carburetor in every yeah. Ford Mustang or something. You yeah. Know? It gives you the sense that you're a part of something, right? Yep. Totally. I totally get that. Like I remember when I was uh, young and I was working in construction and uh, there's still buildings in Goose Bay that I drive by every now and then. I'm like, I built that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Like those walls, I put those walls yeah. up, man. It's just cool. It's a, you know, it's a nice little gratification. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of those jobs that are not seen as highly as they should be in society. Mm. Like I'm sure when you were in high school, people were probably saying like high school in Goose Bay, people were saying like, oh, you want to do real good, get a scholarship, go to Mun, move mm. to town. Right. Type of thing. Right. And here in town, it was like, I had teachers literally like, you don't want to go to Kona. Kona's <laughs> yeah. for the people who can't get into Mun. Yeah. Right. It's like, cool. Well, I know a lot of people who went to Kona who like own their own businesses and have way more expendable money mm -hmm. and comfortable lives than me. Right. They just worked a lot. So did you go to Mun for architecture? Uh, no, I went to Mun first for poli sci and then I went ah, to Kona for architecture. Ah, young punk going yeah. to learn about poli science. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, that's like most of our generation went off and got arts degrees. Right. Or wanted to do something like that because our parents' generation was told like, no, oh, your kids will never have to lift a finger mm -hmm. they'll still have the comfortable lives that you had but they won't have to work as hard for mm -hmm. it it's like maybe working hard for it is uh part of the experience mm -hmm. of appreciating what you have you yeah know? most definitely yeah yeah that's that's what i think you it's gotta you gotta love what you're doing but you also gotta work hard at it that'll yeah. give you the higher sense of gratification when you yeah. complete something totally mm -hmm. i'm only getting paid minimum wage as a camera trainee but mm -hmm. It's a union job, so I get like crazy overtime after certain times. And right, gotta feed us and yeah, it. like you say when you're on set every day, like all your meals are taken care yeah. of. Oh, yeah, more and more. Like so, I, that's a huge payment in itself because of this job. <laughs> <laughs> Just eating cookies all the time. It's nuts. <laughs> Probably shouldn't hit that. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's hard to describe, but it's really rewarding mm -hmm. to do. Do you think you'll get to a point uh, like the same way the old fellers in the business are like somewhat jaded? Like if you did this for 30 years, but like you said, you don't really envision yourself doing this no. your entire life. It's just something you enjoy at the moment, but you're willing to yeah. put your all into it because you do enjoy it. I think my like end game for the film industry would be either a camera operator, which is most people in cameras end game. That's one of the, only rung higher than that is like director of photography, right. which is like they set the lighting and the uh, image color and all that fancy technical stuff. But art department for like a show like this would be really cool. Yeah. Because you get to decide like just weird things that you don't like. We go to a place and dress the set. Mm -hmm. We have to like make a logo for the fake company mm -hmm. and they get to decide like, Oh, well, what color is this logo? Like, okay. Yeah. Know. It seems frivolous, but it, it sets the like tone for the show and yeah. all this stuff. I'd imagine there's a lot that goes into that too. Like understanding it's the crazy. psychology of people and what really appeals to people yeah. and stuff like that. Oh, totally. And like, there's a lot of like architectural planning in that too. They build like little models and stuff. It's right. pretty neat. But, um, I don't even know what we were talking about before that. <laughs> what That's do you the, see yourself wanting to do? Like if you could decide right now, like if money wasn't a factor and all that. Money, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, if money wasn't a factor, 
I would be doing the woodworking. I would just be doing my yeah. artwork, I think. Yeah, I like... Uh, the process of woodworking, I think, is really fun to mm-hmm. me. And uh, the end result can be... It's as wide open as using paint on a canvas. If you ask me, mm-hmm. like you can do anything with it. Of course. If you're yeah. patient enough and safe enough. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You have the right tools. That's a big thing is having the capital quote unquote yeah. to, uh, to do that work is a lot more expensive. It's like comparing like painting to woodworking. They can do the same thing, but the entry level is like soccer. You only need a ball. Right. But hockey, you need skates and shin <laughs> okay. pads and a helmet and a stick and you need yeah. all this stuff and you get paid for ice time. Whereas soccer, you need a ball and you need an open space. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's where I've hit a bit of a wall with my woodworking. It's like I need $2,500 more equipment to do right. the things that I really want to do. Yeah. So it takes time to build up to that. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, ideally, back to your original like changing the world ideally we would live in a society where no one had to do anything they didn't want to do right right? exactly cashiers at walmart would be paid a living wage so that it would be a respectable career so Mm -hmm. that only people who wanted to be cashiers friendly bubbly people who Mm -hmm. want to talk to random people all day long Mm because there are people out there who like that but they don't do that job because why would they do that for minimum wage when they could be a marketing consultant right. for some corporation, or a real you know? estate agent, or something like that, or some other smooth talker, right? Yes, exactly. So those people, you should be able to have a respectable career as a cashier at Walmart mm-hmm. or as anything, but it's the pay that holds people back from doing what they really want to do. I think. So I think that's the the main limiter of everything yeah, of almost everything is wrong with the world <laughs> everything and there's like so you see those memes about like don't use the self-checkout because mm. you're robbing a job from a cashier right it's like that cashier didn't want to do that yeah job. like i i can't imagine anybody <laughs> being uh, actually free in a society and being like what do you want to do like i want to hand items to people you know what i mean like yeah. I, I want to take their item and scan it and then hand it to them yeah i think if everyone was really given the opportunity to do exactly what their heart desires almost no one's going to pick that job. No. You know what I mean? Like, almost no one. Like, sure, you'd want to interact with people. And you, like you said, if it's someone who's really bubbly and person has a bubbly personality and wants to just have that kind of interaction with numerous people all day long, there'd still be other ways they could do that. That doesn't involve just yeah. handing over a product that somebody else created that you don't really get any reward from doing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's those are the like automatable uh, jobs. Mm-hmm. Is, well, yeah. right, we've got a self-checkout. We've proven that we don't need that person to do that job. Mm-hmm. So maybe the people who are put out of jobs by that should be given a like basic income, a universal basic income. Yeah. Like, all right, your job is obsolete now, but because it's obsolete doesn't mean Walmart isn't still taking in the value that you created for mm-hmm. their company, right? The cashiers okay, yeah. used to create a lot of value for Walmart because if without them, Walmart wasn't able to take in money right. for what they were they selling. Were at, they were actually a necessity before. 100% necessity. Mm-hmm. So they created a lot of value for Walmart over the years, made that family the richest family in the world mm. to the point that like came out recently, they make something like $175,000 a minute. Oh my God. Walton family does. <laughs> wow. Right. So the argument being like, well, that person's out of a job shouldn't fall on the person using 
the self-checkout for their convenience mm-hmm. because their life is hectic and they need to save time. Yes, exactly. It should fall yeah. on the corporation and be like, okay, well, you need to make sure that these people are comfortable if yeah. you're putting them out of a job it's because that way of, of technology. It's that way of like guilting people into uh, making those decisions to use the cashier instead of that that keeps us from progressing yeah. as a society. Like, if you don't contribute to them, then you are hurting them and then – the society as itself never really progresses because everyone thinks it should stay the same way and jobs shouldn't change yeah. and certain jobs shouldn't become obsolete. But that's just the way everything they, works. Yeah, they still believe that the person who checks out their groceries should only make $11 an hour right, yeah. to check out tens of thousands of dollars worth of groceries. Yeah, right? yeah that's it's like you got to see beyond that immediate problem Mm -hmm. and see that like the bigger problem is the fact that we could end pretty much all financial suffering if we if if the billionaires of the world decided today Mm -hmm. they could end it it'd be like a snap of a finger it would be nuts exactly no one would be hungry or homeless ever again no but that's like like the such the the most (laughs) obvious truth that seems like it's just something that we should all take into account right away like we should all consider the idea that we already at this point have the technology and the resources to feed and clothe and shelter everyone on the earth yep. but we're not doing it because people want it to keep it the same well the majority of the people have been told that that's not possible yeah and the majority of people believe that it's not possible they don't think there's a way to go about it and they think that even transitioning to something would be far too detrimental and have far too many negative yeah. effects it's the change it's that transition yeah Exactly. Because that's what essentially has to happen mm-hmm. is you need to tax the rich people so much. Like the whole taxing people, people have been convinced, people who make like $80,000 a year have been convinced mm-hmm. that if their taxes go up, like, oh, well, their taxes on rich people, they're going after me. It's right. like, you're not rich, you're just relatively richer than most people. Right. And the concept of taxing you more, it, like, you get taxed a lot for healthcare. Mm-hmm. You've never had to pay for healthcare, mm-hmm. right? And if you were to tally up based on a US system, the amount of healthcare you've gotten throughout your lifetime, it would in no way compare the amount of taxes you've paid for healthcare. Oh, most definitely. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like the amount of taxes you've paid towards road construction. Mm-hmm. Is, it might cover a kilometer of road, yeah. right? It's not going to cover the, all the roads you drive on in a day. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how, like, the point of taxes are you pay less and get more back. Right. So if you were taxed for your food, but you were guaranteed, mm-hmm. you'll always have whatever food you need. Exactly, yeah. You're taxed for your house as well, but yeah. you were always guaranteed to have a warm house to go right. back to. See, that's how the transition would work, is yeah. doing something like that. So instead of the end of the day, at the end of the week, instead of getting a $600 paycheck, you get a $50 paycheck. Yeah. And people flip out. Whoa. <laughs> you're like, but you didn't have to pay for your housing. Your, mm-hmm. you know, your $50 is for you to go and piss it away on something. Mm. Your food is paid for. Probably most of your entertainment is paid for. Mm-hmm. Everything could be paid for with the amount of money and wealth in our society for exactly, everybody. Yeah. But, uh, so I remember you talking yeah. about before, like the last time we chatted, you were talking about these kinds of ideas, like, you know, everyone pays for the roads, everyone pays for the healthcare, that these are considered uh, socialist ideas. Yeah. So what do you, because I know you uh, speak about uh, 
the benefits of some communist ideas as well. So what do you see? I like, I'm not educated on these subjects. Like right. okay. I have basic ideas of what they are, but I never looked really deeply into them. To me, they're just different isms, you know, yeah. and the main point behind it all is that our main priority should be feeding, clothing and sheltering everyone. And then we'll worry about other things on top of that. Yeah. So what is it that like scares people away from socialism or communism? I guess socialism is a softer form of socialism. The end game of socialism would be communism. Communism is a very like strict, more strict, I guess, form of government mm -hmm. in which every, yeah, the, the, the utopian communism is at the very end of the day, you wouldn't even get money in your paycheck. You would okay. just, you would just do and have whatever you needed. So if you wanted food, you just go to the grocery store and grab it. It would be whatever. Yeah. For it's, uh, from each, according to their, uh, means to each according to their need right so the guy the guy who's more physically fit might end up working a bit more at the end of the day mm -hmm. than the person who's weak and feeble but they both have the exact same standard of living okay because that person is able they have the means to do a little bit more yeah so that's where the people don't like the idea of communism there's a bunch of movies and stuff about how like oh it won't won't work out because this guy's gonna end up having to work overtime because oh, the lazy okay. guy doesn't want to type right. of thing. Right. But, um, I guess the main difference is socialism still kind of works within the system of economy we have now. Mm -hmm. Just, it's more focused on taxing the richest people to pay for social programs for the, the poorest. Okay. Um, but eventually, yeah, the end game would be that through those types of systems, the, the balance would even out. Right now we're on a big old bell curve, not even like big exponential curve for the highest, most richest people and the, the poorest people, mm, right? Right. But through a bunch of socialist programs and higher taxes, that would lessen and lessen. And over time, you get to a point where almost everybody is on an even playing field. Mm -hmm. And then that's communism. So what... Uh, I know there are socialist and communist countries existing right now. Mm -hmm. So how, with those kinds of standards that everybody gets exactly what they need, how are rich and poor still created? Yeah, well, most communist countries now are communist by name. So you think right. of like North Korea, they mm -hmm. call themselves communist. And that's a communist dictatorship. It's, and that's the thing. Almost every instance of communism almost has been a dictatorship right so you've got north korea soviet union was a dictatorship china is currently a dictatorship um cuba dictatorship right. um there have been like uh down in chile in the 70s uh salvador Allende was a democratically elected socialist uh president Okay. And within like a year, he was murdered and, and deposed by an American-backed <laughs> coup. Uh, just a few weeks ago in Bolivia, um, oh, his name is escaping me, but the president of Bolivia, he's been there for like 10 years, mm. socialist, democratically elected socialist. He's not a dictator, you know, no, didn't come to power through some revolution like in Soviet Union or something like, or North Korea. And only a couple of weeks ago, he was like arrested and kicked out of office by the military because of an American backed coup. Right. Because those types of socialism work so well. If you look at the, the like standard of living in Bolivia mm -hmm. before he was elected and after within the last 10 years, he's pulled Bolivia out of poverty. He 
he's created all these jobs. He's like turned it into a complete different country than what it was. Mm-hmm. And that's a threat to capitalist countries yeah. because these like working proofs that like, Oh okay. look, I see what if you these mean. people come in and tax all the rich people who've been controlling the economy for decades, right? it does work out mm-hmm. and it does make things better for everybody. They don't like that's, that's so dangerous that they will literally back like revolutions and coups. Gotcha. It happens a lot in South America. Yeah. Um, the Vietnam war was because communism is like now it's more authoritarian communism, but like communism from China was leaking and pushing down into Vietnam and oh, okay. the U S had all these interests and stuff there. So they went into this ridiculous, like 10 plus year, war right to stop it so this standard of living that they give you like if if they're ostensibly giving everyone what they need then is it just that the people in power get to decide what you need and it's just yeah it's technically not enough and it's not actually what you need like yeah that's what you get in in a more authoritarian right dictatorship the state decides that you only need one loaf of bread a week type of thing. You only, <laughs> right, need, okay. you only need to shampoo twice a week, right? Like that type of thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Those happen when <laughs> you try and like go too quickly into it. Yeah. You have to, you have to do very slow transition into this type of thing mm-hmm. where like shampoo, you can only shampoo twice a week in, in Soviet Russia type of thing. Right. right? Like, that's probably because there were a bunch of private companies that made shampoo. And then Soviet Russia said, we're in charge of that. Now mm-hmm. we own all private businesses and we'll determine how much is made and who makes it and where it goes. When you do that too quickly, you don't get a hold on like the supply and demand side of it. Mm. So you could take over the shampoo factories, but if you don't have anybody to work in the shampoo factory, cause they don't want to work for you now or, I don't know, a million different reasons why things could go wrong. If you do it all at once, things like that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd have to do it really slowly. And there'd probably be a long time before like little commodities like shampoo and like chocolate bars before that would be a state, a government decided okay. thing. Right. And it's probably not an ideal. Like, I'm not, like, I don't think any one type of government is perfect. Right. Same as, I guess, I would apply that to religions too. Mm-hmm. You got to pull parts from all different yeah, things, right? Exactly. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the, the I guess you could say, fear mongering around like socialism or communism is people just have this idea that, uh, we've seen that communism doesn't work. Like, look at this country, look at yeah. that country. We've seen that socialism doesn't work. Look at that country. And then they dismiss it entirely and all their ideas, rather than pulling some ideas from each ism and finding the best way to do things. Yeah. To me, it seems like, well, it all comes down to the monetary system in general. If you're going to have a system where there's lack in general, then you're going to have people that find ways to capitalize on that. Yeah. Like regardless if it's a capitalist society, you're going to find people that find ways to get more than others and have others have not. And when you have have nots, when you have people that are living in scarcity, that's when you can exploit them and use them for your own doing. You can use them as pawns in your game kind of thing. Yeah. So it seems to me like the only logical ideal is to move towards a non-monetary system. Because money is just like this barrier between us actually having everything we need. 
Yeah. If you get rid of money, like we can, we can, like I said, we can feed and clothe and shelter everyone with ease. We already make enough food to feed everyone in the world. It's just that the majority of that food goes to livestock to fatten them up. You That's know what I mean? True. There's yeah. a lot of things like that. There's a lot of things inherent in these systems that are based on monetary um, systems in general that keep us from actually progressing and finding a, um, a stable world economy. For sure. Yeah. That's like I used to, the devaluing of labor is based on the fact that I guess you can always, before there was a minimum wage, you could always say, well, I'll get someone to do it for this much. And right. There was always someone who was willing to do it. Gotcha. Because yeah. they were, it's desperation. Right. And you still can. It's just, yeah. Well, and it's, it's just illegal now. And, but yeah, it's, it's legalized loopholes. slavery is what it is, right? Yeah. You're a wage slave. You mm-hmm. you need that money to clothe yourself, feed yourself, and have a place to sleep. That's right. You shouldn't have to. That shouldn't be the goal of your labor mm-hmm. to have these very substandard basic things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, lately I've had, not to like transition too much, but... Lately, I've had a complete different view on criminals, basically. Mm. There was a thing a couple months ago about people using the word skeet. Oh, okay. And how it's like, oh, I've seen that. Well, I've seen a headline. I never yeah. read much into it. It's, uh, I guess there's some good points that it's classist. Give right? me the lowdown. I, don't, I didn't read much into it. So basically, who you think of as a skeet mm-hmm. is probably someone who's poor. Okay. Yeah. Right? Sure. It's probably... If you see someone, you're going to call them skeet on site. It's mm-hmm. probably because they've got like an exco hoodie on, right? Or a fubu hoodie or something, or like their hats got or the sticker still on it or something. <laughs> I got right? a hat with a sticker still on it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I've been there. I've done that. Yeah. But like the parallel between people calling people skeets and mm-hmm. people calling uh, like minorities in the states. Mm gangsters or like okay. hoodlums and street rats right. and stuff. It's sure. the exact same thing. Yeah, that makes sense. The reason yeah. why a rapper wears a sticker and the tag on their hat mm-hmm. is, is like a socioeconomic thing from mm-hmm. where they came from being poor, same uh, as okay. a, a quote-unquote skeet does, right? Right, yeah. And then you call someone who holds up a Marie's Mini Mart a skeet. Mm. But, okay, why were they skeet? Well, they took all that money and they went and bought perks with it. Yeah. Okay. It's like, cool. Okay. So that's twofold. They're, they're poor yeah. and they're a victim of substance abuse. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. is like probably onset from the fact that they're poor. Yeah. And like maybe their parents had substance abuse problems yeah. and they fell into the same. Exactly. So it's like you victimize these people for, uh, or you, you villainize these people mm-hmm. for what they were a victim of. Right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so um, there's this really great, you know the show Dinosaurs from like the 90s? Yeah. Like Not the Mama Baby. I was it. actually thinking about that today. Really? Yeah. It's, it's oh, funny you say that. It might be worth bringing it up on the, the thing. But they had a, a running cop show. Like they'd be at home watching TV. Right. And it was one of those things where there was this cop show that you'd only see 10 seconds of it in the actual TV show Dinosaurs. Right. But if you run them all together, the cop show is like socialist and communist educational program no way. so they're like gonna arrest this guy for stealing a car yeah he's like no you see uh, all property is theft and you are a victim of the socialist. so uh no way the like the all property is theft idea it doesn't really apply to cars but 
the guy who owns the factory and has people work there, he's stealing from the people who work there. Like, I don't know. Uh, I, I totally just lost my train of thought. <laughs> but it all plays plays together in, like, people who are stealing things aren't doing it for the thrill of stealing things. Right. Well, They're not the majority, it. let's say. No. There yeah, are people, like Winona Ryder. Yeah. You know, she had that true, stint in the, in the early 2000s. Or but like, that was a life lived of having everything and still yeah. lacking some sort of fulfillment. So she's exactly. looking for other kinds of thrills. Yeah. And it's, it's she thrilling the store to, 10 times over. Yeah. She, the, exactly. She needed the, she needed the she thrill needed of the, of the wrong. adrenaline yeah. rush of doing something wrong and not getting caught. And you then know? there's, yeah, like Thomas crown affair type stuff, like that movie where they're like stealing artwork and stuff. Okay. Like, yeah. These are extremely wealthy people who are doing it because they want, the clout type yeah, of thing, yeah. right? But the the large majority of crime can be traced yeah. back to poverty. Right. And it, it, that's another thing that I was talking about, like how everything is connected to the fact that we live in this scarcity illusion. And if yep. everybody is, everybody is actually well taken care of, it eliminates, I don't want to put up numbers, but let's just say 90% of crime right away. Oh, for sure. Because yeah. every bit of crime comes from, like you said, poverty in general and not having enough. And that creates tension within a household, which creates emotional oh, yeah. disturbances, which creates Majority mental illness. And then because of financial stress, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, and then like, I'd say the majority of domestic abuse probably stems from financial or, or from stresses that were brought on by yeah. financial problems. And the, like and the fact that people are turning to alcohol to solve their issues yeah. and then getting addicted to it. And that creates a belligerent husband or whatever, because he don't know how to deal with his pain that he's suffering from life because he can't afford to pay the bills. And his yeah. dad was the same way. So his dad beat him. It all goes back. Like the idea of blaming anyone for anything is just, is Pointless. There's yeah. no, like, you can find out the cause of things and say, look, this is, you know, you can find out that person did rob the store. Find that out. But the answer is not to put them in a cage yeah. <laughs> where they get subpar food and and put them basically in a system where it's even more competitive and even more fearful and less rules and less regulations. That's not going to make them a better person. If anything, it might scare them into wanting to be a better person, but... Fear is not the right motivator. No, yeah. They call jail con college for yeah, a reason. Exactly, right. right like you're, yeah. you're only going to be introduced. It's same concept of uh, when people said marijuana was a gateway drug. Mm -hmm. The only reason it was a gateway drug was because it was illegal. And you had to go to a guy who sold drugs right. to get your weed. And he probably sold other drugs. Mm -hmm. Right? So putting a guy who smoked a joint on the sidewalk in jail mm -hmm. or putting a guy who stole, you know, a cartload of groceries from the grocery store into jail only puts him into a place with a guy who murdered someone. Yeah. A guy who fucking tortured his girlfriend for years. Exactly. You know, it puts him in there with all these people and gives him ideas yeah. that, okay, when you get out of here, if you can't get your way with this, then you've got this other avenue that you wouldn't have thought of before you came exactly. here. And they get but to know I've those people as their friends because they have no other friends. Mm -hmm. So they have to make friends with these, quote, criminals. And then the guy that murdered someone, you get to know him. You start to understand where he's coming from. Yeah. You get to understand his motivations. And you'd be like, well, I guess when I think about his situation and why he killed, maybe murder is not so wrong. And then that guy ends up thinking murder is okay. And then he, yeah. when he leaves, he might end up in a similar situation and end up murdering someone as well yeah. because he's exposed to that as being an okay thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's the same reason that rich people 
commit crimes, uh, like Martha Stewart. Mm-hmm. She probably wouldn't have gone bankrupt if she hadn't done what she did, but she would have lost a lot of money. Her her standard of living might have changed, right? right? Instead of having three houses or five houses, she yeah. would go down to having one. Yeah. She would have to change. So that's why almost anyone commits any sort of crime like that is like these people probably, okay, you had a job, you fell into some sort of drug dependency mm-hmm. and you lost your job. You don't want to change your standard of living. You still want to be high all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You still want to be drunk all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to do something now out of desperation to keep that standard of living, mm-hmm. which is the same reason why people do stock fraud. Yeah. Cause they want to keep their jet. They don't want to give that up and go to flying first class. Yeah. Coach. And even when they get their jet, they just want to keep going higher and higher. They want more and more yeah. power, more and more freedom. It's only easier for those people to do that. Yeah. Once your money makes money. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like uh sort of on the marijuana legalization thing. I think we talked about it before how I bought stocks in like major companies like Tweed. And oh, okay. All those. Right. Just when the liberals took office in 2015, because they yeah. were promising legal marijuana. So I thought, cool, I'll buy up all these medical marijuana stocks right. before it's legal. So I bought about $200 worth of stocks. Mm-hmm. And in two and a half, three years, that turned into $1,200. Wow. Six times my money, right? But think about if decision. I had, had 10000 to invest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or if I was the CEO of one of the companies, and at the end of the year, my bonus was 50000 stocks mm-hmm. in the company. Right. It's just, they didn't do, re- and that's the thing, stockholders don't work. I didn't do any, I, I didn't do a damn thing for the extra thousand dollars that I ended up cashing out. Mm-hmm. So where did it come from? It came from the, like, the guy planting seeds and trimming bud yeah. at Canopy Growth. Yeah. That's, that's where it came from. He did the work. Exactly. He created the value. Yeah. And then the stockholders sit around and do nothing and, and get the money. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, when you hear on like the the news, the stock market is doing really well, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any difference for you or me. So when they say that, like, stocks. but there's so many different stocks. So how can the market as a whole do well? They just, I guess they is have these the average in- indexes. Yeah. When they talk about like the Dow Jones or the, the like NASDAQ, they mm-hmm. have these indexes that like combine all the different stocks to give a, an overall health or value of okay. what the stock market's doing. Right. So when like, when you see a, like, oh, the stock market's huge sell-off. If you were to look at the stock market as like a, uh, like a cylinder with the richest people at the top, mm-hmm. the richest stockholders at the top and the poorest at the bottom. When you see that like big old stock sell-off, oh no, the stock market is crashing. It's the people at the bottom mm-hmm. who are selling off their stocks because they need cash because mm-hmm. they're going to be in a financial problem mm-hmm. if they don't get rid of those stocks and have the money on hand to do what they need to pay their bills or whatever, right? Gotcha. And then a couple weeks later, they'll say like, oh, the stock market rebounded. It's back to normal. But that's because the people at the top bought the stocks that the people at the bottom sold. Okay. So the stock market is a constant Selling by the poorest mm-hmm. and buying by the, the richest. So the rich are getting richer. So it's thing. just a constant <laughs> accumulation of wealth to the top. Yeah. Every exactly. time that the stock market takes a dip, it's because people, like the last time it took a dip, I sold all my weed stocks. Mm. I was in a position where I needed the money. Right. It wasn't a lot of money, mm-hmm. but there was probably someone out there who sold $100,000 worth because they had to like make sure their house didn't get repoed. Right. 
But then a multi-billionaire just bought those stocks from us, right? Mm-hmm. And got them at a discount because we sold them when the stock market was going down. Mm. So we sold it cheap to get out. And that's constantly what's happening. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the headlines are like, oh, the stock market is doing really well. It's always the like economic indicator. What's the stock market doing? Mm-hmm. It's That's basically like, how are rich people doing? <laughs> how are the rich getting on? Yeah, They're getting on fine, so the rest of us must be. <laughs> Right? Yeah. It's it's, it's really fucked up. It's 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 common. So what we're saying is the system is broken. (laughs) One hundred percent. And money is power. Yeah. So not much will change about it. Which is like until everyone realizes that. Well, except for the people that already know it who already are in that position, they're fighting hard to make sure it don't change. That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was my next segue was gonna be uh, I've been reading this book. About the Koch brothers. Okay. Um, K-O-C-H. Yeah. Right? Yeah. K-O-C-H. They, um, their backstory is their dad built a bunch of factories around the world, some of which ended up being like Nazi factories. Mm. Some of his biggest, most like lucrative ones. And they were like, create, they were making the fuel basically for the Nazis that helped them bomb England. And he was an American. Uh, I forget his, their father's name, Jack. I don't know. Anyway, mm. these two brothers inherited millions upon millions of bad money from Mm -hmm. that. And they went into the oil industry. And in the seventies, when people were like, shit, the town down the river from the oil refinery, they can't drink their water anymore. And those people that did are dead. That became a thing. Like environmentalism became big in the seventies. People started to wise up to like, Oh shit. The ozone is getting like the hole in the ozone is getting bigger. Right. Pollution is killing people Mm -hmm. all this stuff. So the government started to step in on that stuff, and the Koch brothers were like, well, we'll take our millions of dollars, and we will fund studies and groups that say otherwise. Mm. So they first started on, like, getting rid of environmentalists, Mm -hmm. and then they started on, like, climate change denial. And then they realized that, okay, like, Republicans and right-wing, like, fascist politicians are the ones that agree with us, so let's fund colleges to teach kids that that's the best political ideology. So not only are they using their money to make sure they make more money, they're using their money to make sure people believe their brand of society, like Mm -hmm. not just their brand of capitalism, but their way of organizing people. So they have a way of actually influencing what is taught in schools. Yeah. I've heard of this before. I don't know if it was in reference to the Koch brothers or not. I feel like it wasn't because I feel like it was more in the in the medical sector. Okay. Like somebody in the early 1900s uh, donated or bought a bunch of schools, and that's what basically determined how we see medicine. Oh, I'd, I'd believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's what happens with pharmaceuticals now. Mm-hmm. That's why like oxys were a big they're, – they're a huge uh, addiction problem because doctors were paid extra. Mm-hmm. It was probably an equivalent – painkiller that would do just the same job right made by a lesser company who didn't have as much money as purdue pharmacy or whoever was making oxys and they would say okay well you'll get kickback if you prescribe oxys over drug b you will get more money for it yeah so it's like i could see that happening with early medicine you're like this is how you diagnosis this is the drug you give to someone for this yeah because somewhere along the line someone who made that decision was making money off of that Mm -hmm. decision right 
-hmm. it's like the old uh when i was at mun i did a bunch of courses and the professor teaching the course wrote the textbooks that we were using okay yeah so he got to write the textbook do the course on the textbook and then told us that if you want to do this course you have to go buy the 250 dollars textbook mm -hmm. well we already paid you through our tuition to teach us this course now we're paying you again through your publisher to give us the material that we need to teach to be taught the course right that seems pretty damn convenient for you <laughs> professor fucking whoever you are yeah you know? yeah it's, exactly uh, but that's the like in a way that's kind of fair he put a lot of work into that book I, yeah i get how it comes it, about but i also it, see the other side too you know? yeah i mean the other side the, the positive side of that back to like what i'm doing uh the film industry mm -hmm. A lot of the like means of production, to use like the communist term, like the means of production for a film shoot is a camera, mm -hmm. and microphones, and all that stuff. You need a studio, you need locations, you need actors. But the actual means of production is the camera. Without mm -hmm. the camera, you don't have a moving picture at right. the end of the day. A lot of the gear we use is owned by people in the department, mm -hmm. not the actual cameras themselves. We rent those, but like all the little doodads, the monitors and the sensors and shit like that that goes on the camera is owned by people like Nick and the other okay. operators. Gotcha. So they get to then rent that to the production. Ah. So they get paid for their capital, their means of production. Right. It would be the equivalent of if like I were to go build a house for someone and on top of my wage for building the house, I got paid $5 a day for my saw, $10 a day for my screwdriver set, you uh, know? Okay. So on top of, making money for your labor you can make the proper amount of money for your capital too mm. which is what a factory owner does technically you're not working by owning a camera and renting it you're working when you use the camera mm -hmm. but you get paid for having the camera too because that's how a person who owns a factory gets paid mm -hmm. that's how jeff bezos gets paid by amazon right. he didn't do anything the workers did everything he just owned the system yeah through which they did that work and gave him the value. So instead of people being in charge, uh, being in charge of accumulating that value, it should be a government, right? Yeah. It should be. No one owns capital. Mm -hmm. No one should have the power to just do nothing and make money. Mm. Unless of course you're the one using that capital to make your money. It's really confusing. Yeah. Well, my mind just immediately goes to, we should just not have money. <laughs> Again, <laughs> no money. back to that. Exactly. Because right? there's no right way to do it. You have money, you're going to have not-haves, and you're going to have, or have not you got to have an right? anarcho-communist uh, syndicalist. What, what does that mean? That's uh, the Monty Python bit from... <laughs> uh, from holy grail the kid the guys oh, are in the mud yeah okay and they're like we don't have a government here so an anarcho-communist syndicate narco arco anarcho so it's an anarchist oh okay anarcho. So there'd be no technically be no government right but there would be a, a structure of government through which your commune so it'd be like well, the people in your neighborhood right. would like come together and be like all right we need to do this and you just make a decision amongst yourselves mm. And, but everything would have to be barter system. Okay. So um, a buddy of mine, uh, I forget the exact name of his brand of this. There's like dozens. It's, it's so, it's like the different genres of punk rock. <laughs> there's too many of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like there's one where it's like your commune would be, 
like I'd be a member of the film industry commune. Okay. Because all the people I work with, the, the product we make, we would all be like, we would work together. I would probably still live where I live and everybody else would still live out amongst the rest of the city. Mm-hmm. But your neighbor might be a member of the like, I don't know, the box manufacturing commune. Sure. So when you needed a box, we'd have to give him access to some movies. Okay. Like it would go down to pure bartering system, right? right? Like we need some boxes for the film industry. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, you better give me and everybody in the box syndicate, uh, you know, a membership to Netflix Mm -hmm. or whatever the hell you're doing. Right. It gets, but it gets so complicated that you need a government to. Yeah. Well, that just seems logical to move towards monetary system anyways. And it's like, like, I don't want Netflix. I don't want your movies, but I need a box or I want, you want my box. So let's come up with some sort of, exactly. Right. right? So it's hard. But if it was a pure communist society, it'd be like, you need boxes. We've got boxes. Yeah. Because we make enough boxes for the needs of the boxes. Or you just make them when they are needed. Yeah. But the other problem with that would be we probably don't need a goofy Canadian produced cop drama. <laughs> no. You know? Sure. <laughs> so well, like, you're all if, out of a job. <laughs> if everybody is free to do as they please and they got all their basic needs taken care of, but you enjoy creating art to share with people, yeah. then you'd be like, hey, can I, I, I want to. Rent. It'd be like everything's like a library system. Instead of going, yeah. you go and take it a book, go and take it a camera. Like, I'm going to take this camera for a month. And they'll just have enough that there is enough for everyone. Because not everybody's going to want to make a TV show. Everyone's going to have different desires. Yeah, and I think in the, if in the end, what is produced as art would change a bit. Mm-hmm. Because oh, like, most definitely. You look at what I'm, the show I'm working on, It's I think it's technically a form of artwork in mm-hmm. the same way... Um, a McDonald's ad is a form of artwork. Sure. Yeah. Someone had to use Photoshop to make that, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's made for mass consumption. Mm-hmm. The show is made because the network determined. So one episode of the show is roughly a million dollars. Okay. It takes us seven days to spend a million dollars. Wow. That's crazy. That's <laughs> wages. That's like cost to rent equipment and locations and shit. Right. So, if it costs the network a million dollars for seven days of work for mm-hmm. one episode, that's only going to be on TV for an hour, 44 minutes. Mm-hmm. That means the 16 minutes of ads that play during that hour must be worth two to $3 million. Yeah, they got to be worth more than the million. Got to be a profit being made there. Exactly, right? yeah. So if it turned into a bartering system, I don't think goofy cop dramas would be worth two to three million dollars no, in ad space, right? Definitely not. It would be no. maybe more real artwork, mm-hmm. you know? Maybe it would be like a documentary or like a well made, not to say that our, sh- our show is really well made, but because <laughs> <laughs> anybody who figures out what show it is, it's a really well made show, but it's like, it's not breaking bad. It's still, <laughs> it's it not still the has wire. the intention of reaching yeah. the masses, which yeah, has not to a commentary degrade on the content a little bit. I mean, every now and then we've made some episodes like, uh, yeah, we've had some episodes that are like touch on what social commentary is coming sure. up in the news and stuff. I, I feel like all artwork is moving in that direction these days anyways. Yeah. Even like the most widely seen shows have commentary on yeah. actual issues. Like you look at something as widely consumed as a, uh, like the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. I enjoy that from time to time because they actually talk about some, like, they don't do it in a real way. They don't make it like really... 
yeah. uh, like drama-like, but they'll just drop little tidbits of truth in there. And even the fact that it's about a science show and they talk and they actually use uh, consultants that verify all the things they say about science. So every time I watch it, they mention something about like dark matter and stuff. Yeah. I can go and look that up and find out they were right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's actually teaching me something at the same time. That's uh, one of the episodes we just finished. Actually, you'll like this. It was about uh, a vegan chef versus a like meat positive or like a pro meat chef. Right. And like it had to do with the health benefits of these like um, new beyond meat burgers and okay, stuff, yeah. right? And all the sodium and trans fats yeah, that are yeah. in them. And it's like, well, what is better for you? <laughs> but right, it's all yeah. framed within the this goofy cop drama, yeah, right? exactly. So yeah. it's not as like, it's not as hard hitting as if you watch an hour long documentary from a scientist. Mm-hmm. Who, but it's being sprinkled out there in the Yeah, exactly. It's putting that into people's minds. Yeah. We had one, one thing I really like about the show, uh, if you watch it, it's based in St. John's. But there's way more like minority uh, and people of color representation in the show than you right. would ever see in St. John's. Yes, exactly. We are largely a, it's a an white extremely population. white province. Yeah. yeah, which is you know we're it is what it is. That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's really cool that it does that. Yeah, so that they could have an episode where they dealt with like um, police uh, um, cop on uh, black people violence okay yeah right it's like all right you can't normally do that if you know st john's because it's probably not that prevalent it isn't like places like halifax sure yeah bigger but uh, it's not as much of an issue here as it is in other places yeah Mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of cool how the show is in st john's but it's like it's in toronto right yeah i even got the vibe from the little bit of that you showed me of it it doesn't have a saint like some things are st john's feely but uh for the most part it has a Canada feel. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We have to make sure that it has just enough St. John's that they don't turn around and be like, ah, eh, we can film this in Toronto. Right. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> technically, if you if you took away the shots of the harbor and the shots of Kitty Vidian, yeah. it could be filmed in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, we'd like to keep our jobs. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's uh it's way better to spend your time back on the work things, way better to spend your time working and caring about what you do mm. than doing the shit just for the money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is, I think that's a huge thing with our society. Even if we kept money and we kept technically a capitalist society, mm-hmm. if we could just pay people enough commensurate amount. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what do you think? Like I, I'm aware of the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The idea that people are trying to, especially in the States, we're trying to get a uh, universal basic income. What do you know yeah. about that? It's kind of weird. Like uh, the guy, Andrew Yang, down in the States, yeah. is trying to do that. It's not entirely that thought out, mm-hmm. I guess. He wants to give it to everybody, even like Bill even Gates. Bill yeah. Gates gets his thousand bucks a month. Like, why? Yeah. I understand the principle. Like, where do you draw the line? Yeah. If, if you are going to draw a line as to say who gets it and who don't, where do you draw the line? It's just... For me, the math of it, you'd be able to give people more than a thousand dollars if you didn't give it to the people mm-hmm. who you are. So, someone like Bill Gates, technically, if you're going to give everybody a thousand dollars, even under a certain income amount, mm-hmm. you're going to have to tax him millions, right? <laughs> yeah. So, why does it matter that you just gave him back a thousand? Yeah, that's stealing a thousand. You you've taxed him a million dollars to give a thousand people a thousand dollars. Yeah, right. Why? 
Why give him back a thousand? Now you've taxed him a million to give nine hundred and ninety nine people a thousand dollars when they could have all had an extra dollar each. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is the math of it, I guess. But I think that there should be social safety nets so that you know a college student or like a college age student, someone graduates from high school with a seventy five average, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be able to just say. Give me my thousand bucks a month. I'm going to rent a room with my friends. I'm going to buy an Xbox and a bong. And that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. There should, like, I guess it goes to society should have taught that person that there's more of a reason to exist. Sure, yeah. But I don't, I think that if you gave to anybody with no, you know, no uh, level of entry level, like, okay, you'd have to have worked. Like, maybe EI should be easier to get on. Maybe you should be able to get on EI even if you quit your job. Mm -hmm. Because right now, if you have a shitty job and you're at your wit's end and you feel like if you go to work another day, you're going to kill yourself, you can't quit because there's no social safety net for you. Mm -hmm. You just quit. You quit your job. You're an idiot. Go get a new one. You can't get EI. And you might be able to quit. You can get welfare, maybe. But you might be able to quit under, like, you know, health that. reasons, like mental health reasons. And then even maybe get get EI. Yeah. But then to get your job back when you feel oh, good again yeah. is, the it's chances are pretty impossible. low. Yeah. It's crazy. So I think the, like, easy entry level would have to be rethought, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or a better idea would be guaranteed jobs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, okay, you quit your job as cashier at Walmart, but we need people to pave roads. So, you know, or we need, here are 12 jobs. We will give you a living wage, you know, which you probably weren't getting at Walmart. We'll give you a living wage to do these jobs. It's probably not your first choice for a job, but you're going to have a living wage. Right. You know, whereas there's people who are doing those shitty jobs now aren't making a living wage. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm technically not making a living wage, but if I were to work all year round, I would make an insane amount of money because I'd have no time to spend it type of (laughs) thing. And plus you're working working 70 a week. Like your wage isn't high, but your hours are high. Yeah. And the way I look at that is I can work 70 hours, but my payable hours at the end of the week. So the check breaks it down by how much you actually work by, how much you're getting paid based on the time and a half, double time and triple time that you earned after certain times, mm-hmm. it'll work out to like 110 hours paid. Right. So in my mind, that's 40 hours of work I didn't have to do. Mm-hmm. Right. I just got paid for it. Mm-hmm. And it just meant that instead of working a nine to five, I worked a nine till 11 PM. Yeah. You know, gotcha. but I mean, I guess it depends on, I could see there's a lot of people in that work who have kids. Mm-hmm. That's not a good job to have if you have kids. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So it's hard. It's tough. I don't know. Man. I would, And it's the demanding physicality of it. Yeah. Like I'm 31, not in the best shape. Mm. I would see myself having maybe 10 to 15 years in this industry ahead of me right. before I'm at a point where it's like, I can't yeah, lift can't that anymore. Exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I have an uncle who worked in industry as a, a key grip. Yeah. So what is that again? I learned at one point, but I don't remember. Gripping is uh, what the camera goes on and moves on. So, like, if it's on like a dolly, if it's being like pushed on a track, or okay. if it has to go up on a big crane, stuff like that, they help out with lighting. 
and like bounce and stuff. They set up uh, like if you see like a film shoot, and there's like the big sails, like big old like pieces of fabric up on frames mm-hmm. to like bounce light. They do a lot of that. Gotcha. It's extremely physical. All right. And like he only did it for a while because of that. Yeah. Because it's like there'll be a day where it's like for twelve hours you're in hip waders out in a pond <laughs> holding a a fucking <laughs> bounce, right? Yeah, yeah. It's I gotcha. Crazy. But at the same time, your name IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be in the credits in the new year, my yeah, buddy. Man. Yeah, man. Yeah. January fourteenth. Yeah. City TV, nine thirty PM. They didn't know the show then. Yeah, they figured out. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's, there's yeah. gotta be different ways to do things, man. Yeah. Yeah. And like I guess uh, to throw this back at you, you're teaching drums to people. Mm-hmm. I guess they're not. Are they all kids? Mostly? Um, adults? Well, I have one adult student. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then the average, I'd say, is probably like seven or eight years old. Cool. Mm-hmm. And you've got like recitals and stuff coming up. Yeah. That's going to be really rewarding. Yeah. That's going to be sick. It, like it's the only time <laughs> so far that I've actually felt any, I guess, stress or worry about like anything. nervousness? Yeah. It's just because like... I, the way I teach and the way I, I guess my whole philosophy of teaching is like, I'm here to do, I'm here to share the knowledge that you want. You know what I mean? Okay. But yeah. there is like, I want, like for, for an example, one of my students, he didn't want to play in the recital. All he wants to do, he's like, he has a lot of different uh, hobbies. And one of them is that he wants to eventually get to the point where he can actually design video games. Cool. And right now he and I, rather than working on a song for a recital, we're designing the music that we're going to put in the boss level of his first boss in this video. Oh, no, see, that's so sick. Just, and, like, I'm here being like, shouldn't I teach him about rudiments and stuff like that? I'll sneak in a little bit about that. But if the kid doesn't want to be, like, a session drummer where they can yeah. pick a piece of sheet music and just read it and go and make a living at it, then who am I to say that he shouldn't learn it? It's probably, if you force them to learn the stuff they don't want to learn they're probably going to get turned away from exactly it, right? so that's that's a big part of the job is is yeah. trying to keep your students yeah because if you don't keep their interest and you don't make it fun for them they're not going to want to do it right on but i i thoroughly do enjoy it because i try to find a good balance between trying to give them the knowledge that i have that i know about drums because i for one like i'm not looking to be a professional drummer either but when i was younger i never had the motivation to learn any of the actual theory Right. Yeah. You know, um, it was only because I started using Guitar Pro to write music that I learned how to write drums. Right. So before that, if somebody gave me a sheet of a couple bars of drumming, I'd look at it and be like, this is Russian, man. Like, yeah. what do you want me to do with it? But then when in our band, when we started writing new music, um, a buddy of mine uh, showed me how to use Guitar Pro. So then I was like, wow, I can tab out everything I want to play. And that... I didn't do it because I wanted to learn how to write music. I did it because it 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 opened a whole new door for me to write new stuff. Because right. like I can be only so creative on the kit itself because then I'd have to practice learning the thing that's in my head. But I can tab something out that I have no idea how to play, that I have nowhere near the skill level to play, and then I can practice it over and over and over again. Right. And that's what we did when we were in Articuno. We had four songs that we put out initially that we wrote in jam. But then when we moved to Wexford and started like writing new stuff, we we had been introduced to Guitar Pro at this point. So we spent 
hours on Guitar Pro and only so much writing and jam. We would That's like crazy. come up with ideas and jam and then go to Guitar Pro and refine them, make them better, and just make a song that was way beyond our skill level and then spend months learning it. So I made our, the, uh, and we were going the for like, method, a, isn't it? What's that? That's the protest the hero method. Exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I remember hearing that. Like, uh, I remember when they first came here, I think they were uh, talking uh, to a mutual friend of ours who said that he's like, man, it's, it's been uh power tab. I think is what they use. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And then we were like, we should use it right as well. Cause we were yeah. like the same genre as them. And we yeah. were going for progressive sounds, you know, that's wild. So I learned how to do all that because of guitar pro and it made it fun for me. And then in 2010, I went home to goose Bay and I got a job teaching. That was my first actual teaching job. I taught kids out of my house ever since I was like 17. Yeah. But, um, I actually got a teaching job and when I had my teaching job, I went there and the first day I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm a fraud. <laughs> like ask me what a 16th note is. Well, I think I knew what that was, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. I knew the very fundamental basics of drum theory yeah. and I was basically just given the job because of my band. Like uh, I was Crazy. living in St. John's and I was considering going home anyways, just because like after Articuno broke up, I just, you know, wasn't fulfilled out here anymore. I didn't feel like I was doing what I wanted to do. And for many reasons, I was just like, I need a change. And then my mom called me one day and was just like, hey, there's a music store that just opened up in Goose Bay and they, they teach instruments. So I was like, cool, that's pretty interesting. And at the same time, I, I had an opportunity to go back into construction with my dad. So right. I was like, I could, I could probably go back to Goose Bay and make some money. So I called up this music store. And I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a drum teacher, you know, like I heard you're looking for one, blah, blah, blah. She's like, yeah. And then I was like, so do you want, like, how do you want to do this? Like, I'll be in Goose Bay soon. I could come by and show you. And she's, I told her who I was. And she's like, oh, I know who you are. I've heard your band. Your band is great. <laughs> and then she just no hired me on the spot because That's she sick. heard my band. She's like, you're an excellent drummer. I'll, I'll, you got the job wow. essentially. I was like, cool. <laughs> so then I went home and started teaching drums, but I, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, um, and I didn't enjoy it, and I was just at a different place in my life. I wasn't as a happy person. Yeah. So I never found the fulfillment I thought I would in teaching drums. Was and it more structured because you were working out of a someone else's store? Like, did they want you to teach a certain way? or? Uh, no, not really. No? She honestly okay. gave me pretty much any freedom like I wanted. Like, she never really had a say into how I taught or anything like that. There's definitely yeah. more of that now. Like, my boss now, well, he knows a lot more about me. Uh, knows a lot more about music than me. So he actually teaches me a lot too. Okay. So, um, but beforehand it was just like, she didn't uh, know much about drumming at all. So she's uh, just like, you know, go nuts, you go. teach yeah. these kids. And uh, so I did it for a little while and then I just had the pull to come back out here. I remember always being on Xbox Live playing with John Pike yeah. and he was just always like, man, you got to come back out. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. So then I was just talking to the guys like, hey, let's get our canoe back on the go. And I was like, really? Like, uh, that's what I wanted more than anything. I was like, yeah. I want to be in that band again. That was like my yeah, baby, man. you know? So then eventually I just, uh, and then uh, John also told me, he's like, if you come out, you know, we can play with the Wizards as well. You make some bucks at that. And I'm like, that'd be cool. Yeah. So, you know, I had all these reasons to go back. So I quit the teaching job and I went back out because I was just like, you know, even though I thought I would really love teaching then, I, I wasn't set out for it. And yeah. I, um, I don't know, I just never got the satisfaction from teaching the kids. Like they'd learn a little bit, but I guess where I was not as good a teacher, they weren't learning very much. And I was like right. kind of disappointed in them. And, you know, like it just wasn't fulfilling at all. Yeah. But now I see it totally differently just because I love teaching. I love sharing any bit of knowledge I have now. And when I'm in there teaching a kid and, 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 
I see them get stoked about something. Like I just had a new student the other day. It was his first day and he had learned a little bit before. So it's fun for me when I have someone who's a little bit experienced. I can be like, right. hey, play this and they'll do it. You know what yeah. I mean? Rather than spending four classes in a row on a single kick rock beat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So when he came in he had two years experience, I was just like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And I was like, try this. And he tried it and he was having trouble. But then after I broke it down for him, I was like, let's break it into pieces. Let's slow it down, blah, blah, blah. Told him all the tips you need to really get it. And then he started getting it. And when he got it, he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he was excited as hell. And when he got excited as hell, Sick. I got excited as hell. I was like, this rules, man. I love it. That's deadly. Yeah. I, when a kid is there because they want to learn, that rules. Um, I, at first, when I started, I had a couple students that seemed to be there just because their parents wanted them to be there. Mm. They didn't seem to be very interested, but I just worked with them over months. And then I found a way to connect to them yeah. and they might not know as much as some of the other students because they don't want to learn about rudiments and they don't want to learn about like time signatures or whatever it is. And they don't, there was one kid that don't even want to slow down a beat and break it apart and learn a beat. He just wants to jam. So that's all I do with him is jam. It's just, yeah, it's just I'm go. just like, all right, I'll play guitar. You play drums. We'll figure some stuff out. That's hilarious. So if like somebody tested him being like, you know, what's a four, four timing or a six, eight timing, he wouldn't have a clue, but he enjoys playing drums. Yeah. And that's what matters most. That was to like me. me with like, with guitar and bass. I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd be able to tell you what note each open string is on a guitar, <laughs> but I can play right. a bunch of songs on guitar. Right, right. right yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, there's two different sides to music where it's mm -hmm. just like playing it just cause you want to play it or like, yeah, that real technical side. I never got, yeah. I, I, I don't think I'd be able to go to a guitar lesson and someone show me like sheet music. I'm yeah. Like, Ugh, no. It's, I, I find for me, I got to have a balance of the two. Tell me what number fret to put my finger on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> but having that, having that balance is, it's just made me better. And when I'm, what makes me joyful about drumming is when I play something that sounds awesome. And sometimes in order to play something that sounds awesome, I got to break it into pieces and find out exactly what it's doing. And right, yeah. in order to do that, sometimes I got to count it out. I got to be like, okay, one and a two and a three and a four. And then I'm like, okay, now I know how to count it. And when I know how to count it, I can throw on a metronome, play it to it, play it perfect. And then I'm like, I get that satisfaction feeling, you know? So like before, it's what's like, that? It's, it's almost like woodworking in that like, you're breaking down something, you're looking at something, mm. you can see the whole, like you can listen to a song. You can hear what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah. Then you have to figure out, so you can look at a desk. Right. Then you got to break it down. Like how did all these, what are the parts? Yeah. How do they go together? Like there's an order of operations for how they go together. It's the same as, as any other art form, I guess. Right. There's, there's a puzzle to how it goes back together. And if you can sit down and do that yourself, like you could do that with probably any drums for yeah. any song. It's about, yeah, deconstructing something and putting it back together. Exactly. Yeah. And then once you do that, you can perfect it. So like I could make, I could look at a desk and make it, but it won't look, you know, it won't have the same joinery or like it mm -hmm. won't be as tightly put together. You make that desk a few more times and then it's going to be like the, per, you know, exactly like the original. Yeah. And you're practicing the skill itself and you yeah. might have to break down the skill and find like, I guess the more boring aspect of it. But then once yeah. you do it so many times, it kind of comes second nature to you. Yeah. So then you can be like, throw together a desk in an hour. Yeah. And then, then you get like, oh man, I'm good at throwing a desk together really yeah. fast because I know exactly what and to like do. And like getting like, okay, I can make two pieces of wood and join them together. Yeah. But 
once you've done that a bunch of times, you learn about all the different joiner. You can put two pieces of wood together as if, and they look like they are one piece of wood. Right. Yeah. Which is the same as with drums. You can take different beats. Mm-hmm. You can play them. But until you've got that perfect and you get them rolling together, mm-hmm. it's not going to sound. It creates like a whole original. new animal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally, man. Which you could say that for fucking painting. Exactly, right? Like, nice. that's why you can, like, when I was a kid, I found it weird that people learned about art. Because I was like, I just draw, you know? Yeah. Just give me a piece of paper, I'll draw. But then when I went to high school and I actually started taking art classes, uh, I learned how to draw better because I learned how they figured out. Like, when I used to draw people a lot. Like, that's what I draw, drew more than anything was people. Yeah. And I was all right at it. But when I went to uh, art class in grade 11 or whatever, they said, you know, like draw the head and then the body is two head lengths and then the, the legs oh, are three yeah. head lengths. And I'm it's all racist. And then I and did stuff, it all. Man. And then yeah. I was like, man, my people look so much more realistic yeah. now. Like when you draw a head as a kid, you think the eyes are at the top of the head. Yeah. And you put the eyes like in the top third. Right. But when you do, when you take an art class, you learn that your eyes are almost exactly in the middle of yeah. your face, right? Right. So that every face a kid draws, the eyes are up where your forehead are supposed because you think. Eyes are at the top. Boom. Yeah. They're actually in the middle. that's where you're seeing out of and you yeah. think it's like the top of your head. It's so crazy. Yeah. yeah. Or like how kids always like to draw the head. Perfect. Eyes, nose, mouth, mm-hmm. ears, hair. Boom. Legs coming right out of the bottom of the head. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like they're just like, I am a walking head. Yeah. This is my experience. It's yeah. Just what, that's true. Yeah. What, what my head interacts with. Yeah. <laughs> and my feet, because my feet move me places. Yeah. It's interesting how that, yeah. that works like Kids that. Kids will always draw the head with legs, because yeah. everything in between, they're not very good with their hands yet. Right. They, just not, move they don't even really feet. notice their torso. They smell, they see, they taste, they yeah. hear. <laughs> exactly. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's adorable. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but back to your like question, I guess, like, I, I really do enjoy what I'm doing now, but at the same time, I, I'm not necessarily saying I wouldn't do it my whole life, but I just don't want it to be the only thing I do my whole life. So your ideal, your ideal dream job would be to be in the band. No, not necessarily. I don't have a, like, that's the thing is like when people ask me, what do you want to do with your life? I don't have one answer. Yeah, that's hard too. If anything, I'd say I want to create a free world for everyone. I want everyone to have the freedom I have. I don't have all the freedom. I still got to work and stuff like that. I still got to pay bills, but I have the freedom of mind. Like I don't, even when I have stress, I have a way of dealing with it that makes it go away. Essentially. Mm -hmm. I don't neglect the negative. I don't not think about what the possibilities could be, but I don't, I don't uh, suffer because of it. And that's what I want to share is that ability. I want everyone to be able to. And the thing is that when everyone has that ability, the world will naturally evolve into a more freer place. Yeah. So that's what I want to do. Like I want to spend my life sharing knowledge and understanding so that everybody could have a better life, no matter what it is. So if that means if someone wants to find joy in drumming, I will gladly share that knowledge because I've studied it a long time. And if somebody wants to uh, eat better, I will gladly share what I learned about nutrition because I've studied that a long time. If somebody wants to figure out how to meditate or anything, exercise better, anything that I've put my my time and my thought process into, I want to share it because it's bettered my life. And I know right. that these things can better other people's lives. Yeah. So, so that's my my vocation my ideal vocation is to be someone who shares knowledge to better the life individual life i'm a teacher <laughs> of yeah. all things of yeah. All things. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so that's cool. like i like when people say what do you want to be like i think i don't have i i have a tendency to not l- 
want a label because that just feels to me like I've always been, you know, reluctant to use labels ever since I was a kid. I didn't even like, yeah. you know, I didn't like calling anything, anything. Cause like it limits, it puts it in a box. Yeah. You know what I mean? But either way, like if you had to label it, yeah, I would want to be a, a teacher or a sharer of knowledge. You know what I mean? Which I don't know. This says a lot about our generation, but we're in our thirties mm. and we have conversations about what we want to do with our lives. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, what do you want to be when you grow yeah. up, man? Yeah. <laughs> like, I've been grown up for yeah, 10 right? years. But that's the thing. Our generation has been like, we were lied to, like we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. about like, Oh, you got to go here if you want to get a real job type yeah. of thing. And now we're all like, not all, there's plenty of people our age who've got, I don't know, maybe not, probably not what they want in life, mm -hmm. but they're way more, you know, that stereotypical, Got the two-story house, right. the two cars, the kids, and all that stuff, right. right? And when your life gets that busy, I think you get so busy, yeah. you forget that, like, oh, crap, there could have been another, a better life out there for Sure, me, yeah. Right? Like, they don't have the time to really, like, the reason why I have such a specific idea as to what I would and wouldn't do is because I've had a lot of time lot to think of, about it. And you've had a lot of different jobs. I have. Which I've had I was a lot about, of like, jobs. <laughs> jobs and like, like jobs that you liked, but probably weren't getting paid enough yeah. and stuff. And I find like, it's, I found something I hated about every single one. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, there is probably for almost everything. Exactly. You know? Like even for, for woodworking, I hate the danger aspect. Right. There's times I've like, um, you know, like the staring into the abyss, like staring into the void type moments where mm. you're like, you're standing on the side of a cliff mm -hmm. and your mind goes to like, what if I jumped? Yeah. I, every time I'm in the workshop, I'm like, I'll have the table saw going and be like, no, oh, what if I just put my hand through it? <laughs> All my fingers came up and I just have this like really weird, anxious moment of like, oh no, like that could happen. Right. That could. Yeah. If, if like, I was dumb, I could do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. That's why like in, in any, uh, in any profession or any hobby or whatever, it's always best to practice full awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with really powerful things like table saws and stuff. Yeah. Too. But even like, <laughs> so like at work, when we're dealing with stuff, we got to like deal with the media. It's mm -hmm. not film anymore, which I could only assume is more nerve wracking because mm -hmm. it's like a light exposed, exposes that your day of shooting is gone. Right. Say but, it again. So like film mm -hmm. back in the day, they use film and yeah. you'd have to like, put up a tent to change the roll of film on the camera in the okay. middle of the day and everything because it can't be exposed to light. Right. We've got hard drives. We've got like these little 120 gig hard drives. Right. So they just literally pop them in and out of the camera. Okay. But even that is so nerve wracking where it's just like, okay, this has to go into this case and then this uh, case has okay, to go yeah. into the production office because it's like, if you lose that, yeah. good luck having shoulders ruined. Good luck, Yeah. Good luck getting a job in this town <laughs> ever again. Yeah. You just wasted... Yeah, if it's a million dollars an episode divided yeah. by set, you just waste like $150,000. Right. <laughs> just yeah. by like putting a magnet to that thing. So like, I think anything and, and the more important your job is. So consider that for this show and then consider that for like the latest Martin Scorsese movie. Mm. How nerve wracking that yeah. is to handle. Exactly. But I yeah. guess the more important your job, the more responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that's, at the end of the day, what makes the job more rewarding, mm -hmm. right? I'd say if I was, because all I do on the job is run batteries and check the battery health and go get stuff for the camera operators, like get them a lens and stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel really fulfilled at the end of the day. But if I was working on the Martin Scorsese mm. job as doing the same thing, yeah. 
I'd be like gushing to people about yeah. what I'm doing, you know. Exactly. Like, yeah. I'd be way too stoked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see. well, the more I guess that could come out of the product project itself, it just I guess it was it conversely raises the the amount of fulfillment or gratification yeah. you would get. The more risk, the more reward. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So I guess the risk is yeah. The seriousness of what you might be doing, and the potential, like the way I see it, it's like not necessarily the the risk; it's the potential for its 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 power. You know, like yeah. if you ha- if you're working for a show in St. John's, it's only going to reach so many people. But if you're working on a Martin Scorsese film, it's going to reach millions. That's true. Yeah, tens of millions probably. Yeah. And then, like, you know, it just gives you that sense of accomplishment when you knew you were a part of something so huge. Especially, like, I think about like how something like that, like uh, I'm not sure if I'm familiar with a lot of Martin Scorsese. He's the one that did uh, oh Wolf Godfather. on Wall Street as well. Wolf, uh, yeah, he did yeah. Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, and like those types of movies, like they are really artistic in the sense that they yeah. have a lot of commentary. And that's oh, yeah. what I, I see value in, I guess. Well, I see value in everything, but you know what I mean? Like what I attach to, what I am attracted to is things that tell the truth in some way. And that representation of Wall Street and how corrupt it is and yeah. how like it's it's not the life people think it is. It's much darker, you know, so to speak. That kind of art really speaks to me. So I see to be part of something like that would like, you know, if I was running the batteries for that movie as well, I'd be like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm part of something that's going to speak to a lot of people. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. That would be, yeah. Or like, I think I'd like to do documentary work if I ever like moved up through the industry, got to be like a camera operator. Right. That would be really cool. Cause then you get to pick like a legit cause. Mm. It's, you know, not all documentaries are just informational a lot of them are like investigational type yeah, things and stuff right. like that mm-hmm. that'd be pretty cool but uh i also kind of want to like the people who run after athletes on the on the field <laughs> the camera that seems pretty cool too. <laughs> <laughs> but they probably got some sort of machine that they drive right no it's like uh yeah it's basically like a camera with a robot body yeah that keeps it stable and you just push we use them on the show too though oh no, okay. you run with it you run with yeah, it yeah yeah we have them on the show we got a ronin on the show that uh is like it looks like a big old robot it's like mm-hmm. a ring with the camera and the floating in the middle of the ring kind okay. of like what's going on with this microphone here right and no matter where you turn it it keeps a horizon so like, right okay if you're doing this it would be a perfect stable picture on you. But if I were to turn like that, yeah. it would, even if I turned up a little bit, it would perfectly pan gotcha. to the left and the right. Oops, sorry, microphone. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. But all these things cost money. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, money. Yes, indeed. Let's get rid of it, man. There's no need of it. Oh, my. Oh, my. Yeah, I don't know what else. Other than work. We've talked a lot about work. Yeah. I had an idea. I didn't use this pad of paper to write down what I meant to write down. <laughs> had to do with creating things. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's like everything can be boiled down to creating thing, whether it's it's artistic or not. Mm-hmm. The purpose of living is to create, mm-hmm. whether it's food or other people, yeah, or. Bad things. Yeah. Or events. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't yeah. have to be physical objects. Right. Yeah. Whoa. Now you're blowing my mind. Experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another thing our generation is really into. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We're much more about yeah. like going for a hike or a parasail than yeah. we are for or spending our money on a trip somewhere to experience like a new culture rather exactly. than yeah. a trip somewhere to just lie on a beach. Mm-hmm. A lot of people still do that too, though. Yeah. But like my uh, the house that I have is a pretty small house, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of problems with it. Like I've had a couple of floods in the last couple of months. Right. My parents are trying to convince me. To sell the house mm-hmm. and like upgrade a bit, mm-hmm. take the loss on the house, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't have any need for any more house. Yeah. You know, I have two roommates. I have all the room I need. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit, you know, I'd like to have the full basement for my workshop rather than half of it, maybe, but mm-hmm. whatever. I live within my means. Yeah. I'd rather keep that house for the rest of my life and have the money to travel for like a month out of every year. Right. With the money I otherwise would have put into a bigger house. Right. Gotcha. Which is also why I want this job that I have where I work the equivalent of two weeks of work. Most people work 35 hours a week. So when I work 71 Mm -hmm. in one week, I've done two weeks of work in one. Right. But at the end of, or I guess mid-February when the season wraps, they lay me off. Mm -hmm. But I've made enough money that I technically wouldn't even have to go on EI if I was super smart with my money, but I also can go on EI. (laughs) And then I've got, instead of like working every week of the year, Mm -hmm. I now have two months off where I can do whatever the fuck I want, Mm -hmm. go on a trip, and then go back to that job where you work way too much during a short period of time, way too much by most people's standards. Mm Mm-hmm. But then that season will wrap after six months and I'll have three months off. You know, mm-hmm. I would rather condense all my work into half the year and have half the year off. Right. Yeah. That's my ideal structure of work. I think what I'm doing then matters a little bit less. You know, if you had to do something every single day for 12 hours a day all year long, you yeah. better friggin' love it. <laughs> yeah. But if you can do something that you love or only like a bit, and do it a bunch, and mm-hmm. then to have a bunch of time off to not yeah. do that thing, or mm-hmm. take that time to focus on, because I'm going to take a lot of my time and focus on woodworking. Mm-hmm. That, I don't know. You just be way more happy with your time. Yeah, like yeah. you understand that's a, like a sacrifice that you're making. Yeah. You know, like I'm doing this thing that doesn't exactly give me everything I want, but I don't have to do it always, and then I get yeah. to do it what I want. It deprives me of a lot of shit for a period of time mm-hmm. so that I can do more of what I want to do than I normally would be able to mm-hmm. for another period of time. Which I assume, like, people who work offshore, our friends who work in the cruise ship industry, mm-hmm. I would only assume that that's a similar thing, you know? Right. You're putting in a lot of work so that you can have a lot of time off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, you're saying, that, like, that whole idea of having more time off and freedom to do what you want and, like, create experiences more so, that is really characteristic of our generation. Mm-hmm. Because I think it was just before, like, it was easy to believe the whole narrative that you know whatever your job is is meaningful and you are a necessary cog in society mm-hmm. and so people actually felt fulfilled in like the 60s or 70s at their job regardless of yeah. what they were doing like you said that guy who you know i put the carburetor in every ford yeah. now someone who works at ford is like oh i can't wait to get home <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what i mean i don't yeah. care because he's like most people who work there like i'm aware that these Cars are filling the air with CO2 and we need to transition to something different. So everybody, like so many people are aware that whatever their job is, is not actually helping society. Most jobs are not helping society. If anything, they're damaging them. 
Oh, a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess anything in the current energy industry, if right. it's not solar or wind, mm-hmm. you're fucking the planet up for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. So there is a lot of that out there. People, I think, with our generation and just having the internet, we're just a lot more aware of every aspect of society and how it works. Oh, yeah. You know, too we, aware, probably. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well yeah. there's no too aware. <laughs> it depends on it's what you do with that awareness. Yeah. It's yeah. How, exactly. It's how you handle it, you know, because yeah. you can find out about horrible things. Yeah. And if horrible things like keep you up at night and scare the shit out of you all the time and you don't know how to deal with that fear, then it's not good for you. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't learn about the horrible things. We should no, be yeah. equally be aware of the horrible things and the beautiful things, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In some aspects, more aware of the horrible things. Well, we should just be aware of everything. Yeah. You know, there's no knowledge that we shouldn't have. We should accept all knowledge. True. You know? Yeah. Like you don't have to learn how to do everything, but you should know everything that needs to be known. <laughs> Not exactly. Sure no, I get what that. you're saying. Like, um, someone, I have a bunch of people on my uh, social media who will post a lot of like social justice things. Right. And sometimes it'll be like an Aboriginal social justice thing. And it's someone who's, it's a white person. Right. And it's not about them experiencing the wrong that they were addressing in that post. Mm -hmm. It's them understanding where the people experiencing it are coming from. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of people wouldn't repost something about missing and murdered indigenous women because they would think like, well, I'm not a indigenous woman. Right. Or, you know, it's not my place, but it has to be your place. Of course. Everyone's just aware of it. And you're a human. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But that's, that's the problem is a lot of people will only step up and have their voice heard if it's, hurting them themselves right exactly right yeah which is i guess to your thing about uh you know making the world better creating Mm -hmm. a better place if people put the same enthusiasm into organizing i hate to use the word politics but politically Mm -hmm. they put the same enthusiasm into creating political connections like that through elections and, and, and stuff like that we would probably have a better society if people owned their votes more. Okay, if people yeah. had, instead of the four or five parties we have now, there should probably be like 30. Mm-hmm. Then you should be able to, when you vote for someone, say unequivocally, I 100% agree with what that person right, says. Right. And I will fight for them. And then at the end of the day, when they do something or when that group creates a change in society you feel more connected to it yeah more so than like i voted ndp in the last election right. i didn't agree 100 percent with everything the ndp had to say right probably because they weren't far enough left for me rather mm-hmm. than not being far enough to the middle moderate because that's kind of what parties do to cozy up or or make other people happy who probably wouldn't otherwise vote for them. Mm -hmm. They go further to the right or further to the left to try and make them a bit more palatable. I still voted for them, but I would probably be more excited about voting for them if it was a party that I agreed with a hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then the other side of that is you fragment up society to a point that if I'm voting for someone, I 100% agree with, Mm -hmm. I 100% don't agree with who you voted for, right? Mm-hmm. Or whoever anybody else voted for. So you get into situations where people become more stubborn, I guess. Mm-hmm. They won't. 
be more realistic. And then to have that one party win, and then that one be the the only yeah. Well, that's the, the other one. part of it is the 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 first past the post doesn't work. Yeah, if I voted for my party and I knew that even if only three percent of the country voted for them, they'd still have three percent of the power. Mm -hmm. That would be a lot better too. Mm -hmm. Because even the, that that 3% would be more of a voice than what you'd otherwise get, which is yeah. nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, there have been, uh, I think, within the last 20 years, somewhere in Ontario elected a Communist Party member to, really? to Parliament. Yeah. Wow. And they, like, sat as an independent and, and stuff. There's a party that ran here in the province. They run every now and then across the country called the Rhinoceros Party. Mm -hmm. And their entire point is if they ever get elected, they're going to call another election right away. <laughs> what? what? They're like the anti-election party. They're not an anti-election because they would call another election, but they're like... It's a joke party, mm -hmm. and they think that if they get elected, they could just call another election and then constantly keep calling elections, and we wouldn't have a government. Ah, okay, gotcha. <laughs> They're bananarchists. <laughs> yeah, bananarchist. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? No, they're bit, a bit, bit anarchist. Bit of an anarchist, but bananarchist is yeah, that would work for them. <laughs> I like that word much better. Yeah. Bananarchist. They're a little bit bananas. Oh yeah, they're anarchists. Bananas. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know what else I can say about politics and religion. I was curious life. after uh, <laughs> yesterday. I noticed about the whole uh, impeachment. Oh, thing impeachment! Going on. Yeah, I forgot about that. What do you know about that? Because I don't know anything. <laughs> I don't know. He got impeached, so everybody thinks that that's like he's done, but he's not. Impeachment is is like he got arrested. Mm -hmm. He got to go to court now. Mm -hmm. But the court he's going to is all Republican. Is all Republican? Or majority Republican? Yeah, the Senate. Yeah. So the only way they would vote him out is if, like, at this point, he'd. I don't know if there's anything he could do that mm -hmm. would make them break party lines, which is a huge problem with their like electoral system. They only have two parties. It's like right. one or the other, and the Republicans are like. I don't know. They're very quickly becoming like a fascist authoritarian party in mm -hmm. that they don't care that Trump has broken the rules. Okay. Yeah. They want to keep their jobs mm. above all else. They don't care. Mm -hmm. Like they want the power. Even if the power is ill gotten, they want it. Like they don't care. It's, it's just bizarre. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's impeached. It's going to go to the Senate. They're gonna have a trial where they'll air all the dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. And then the Senate, even if, yeah, even if they come out and they're like, Trump murdered 20 people yesterday. <laughs> we proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt. They would still not impeach him yeah. in the Senate. He's going to stay the president. The best that could happen is that, like, some crazy shit comes out and he doesn't get reelected. Mm -hmm. But, like, if he doesn't get reelected, there's going to be some widespread violence or something. In the well, there's States. already, like, widespread like, protests about him oh, being uh, yeah. impeached, and, right? Just this summer was like that rash of shootings that happened all within like a month. Mm. Half of them were politically motivated. Oh, and like, I see. Oh, it's just nuts. So let's say um, when when is this Senate uh, hearing supposed to be? I don't know because um, the Democratic leader Pelosi is not going to. So they've impeached it. So they have to send the articles of impeachment to the Senate, mm -hmm. but they're withholding that. They're like holding it back from going to the Senate. Right. Cause they want to make sure that the Senate is going to have a fair trial. Mm -hmm. 
so they could technically not ever send it to the Senate. Okay. They've got a year now to send it to the Senate. Oh, so it has so, to be before election. Yeah. Well, no, the election is in November. They'd have to get it there by December. It's really complicated and yeah. dumb. I think it's all <laughs> yeah. I think it's all just a political ploy by the Democrats to keep all of Trump's bullshit in the public oh, front leading up to the election, right? Oh, I see. Give him okay. an excuse to talk about how corrupt he is, uh, even though the people who support him don't really care that he's corrupt. I see. So let's say if like it went to the Senate relatively soon, like in the next couple of months or something, yeah. Um, and he actually ended up getting booted out, uh, what would happen? Would his vice president take over? Yeah, or? but the vice president is implicated in this. I see. So it would go to... Uh, I forget how it works, but it, there's a chance. Oh, yeah. If it's not him and it's not the vice president, it would actually go to uh, Pelosi, the Democrat. Oh, okay. She'd become the first female president ah. on a technicality. Um, but that's pretty unlikely. That's mm. extremely unlikely. What is her deal? I don't know much about her either. She's just been um, speaker of leader of the house, speaker of the house. Mm hmm. She's been it twice. She's basically been like the top Democrat when the Democrats aren't in power. Mm -hmm. Twice. Okay. And she's really old and she's really shitty. She sucks. Like <laughs> yeah. she's, she's as politicians go. She's yeah. Garbage. Okay. Yeah. She's yeah. like a, uh, they would consider her like really far left for American politics, but she's basically like a Justin Trudeau mm. type smarmy politician okay who's like not all bad but is clearly only in it for their own personal gain right their own ego type thing mm -hmm. i don't know i used to like justin trudeau i'm a bit bitter about him <laughs> Fair enough, man. i voted for him in 2015 yeah and he's just full of lies yeah so he's just a politician he strikes me as someone who um might have actually had good intentions at the beginning, but wasn't Probably. aware of what he was getting himself into. Yeah, there's that. I always think that too. Like mm -hmm. Obama. I always thought that about Obama. He had really good intentions. He was probably a really cool guy. Mm -hmm. And then when you get into the job, you've got all these people. You think you're the top dog, right? Mm -hmm. You think you're the leader of the country, but you're then you've got here. like, well, actually, I'm uh, the foreign intelligence officer for the FBI, and mm -hmm. this is happening in this country. And the only way we can fix it as if you do this yeah it's like shit well you got all these decisions to make and i don't think there's never a good option and a bad option there's mm -hmm. always you're always screwing someone else yeah exactly whether and whether it's someone within your country or you're screwing another country mm -hmm. you know like uh canada sells military jeeps to saudi arabia mm -hmm. saudi arabia uses those to kill people in yemen Mm -hmm. So it's really fucking shitty. Yeah. But the way that they spin that is, well, you know, there's a lot of people at the factory who put food on the table at the end of the night mm. because of that military contract with, right. with, you know, whoever the hell makes them. Yeah. Bombardier or whoever. Right. Yeah. So it's, there's always this like, well, okay, we could cancel that contract. Now you got 10,000 Canadians who are mad at you. Right. Those are voters. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. God. Why don't you just, let the Yemen people, the Yemenis die. Yeah. They're not voting for you. Yeah. Right. Oh like, my God. That's what it comes down to. For that's them. the way it works in our system, man. Yeah. So we need a better form of government Definitely. for one. Yeah. Uh, we probably need a global government or self governance. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've got 
two ways. Like, I feel like we need a government of the world that mm-hmm. makes sure because we, we have international law. Mm-hmm. I've done some courses on it in poli sci mm-hmm. where like you're legally obligated to do certain things between two countries, but in the end it's anarchy. Mm-hmm. Any country can do whatever they want. Canada could bomb the U S tomorrow. Would it right. be smart? No, we do it. There's no repercussions. Yeah. There's a criminal court where they, if, if you agree to go there, you can go there. <laughs> the Hague. Okay. So like the U S isn't signed on to the criminal code. So like anytime a U.S. per an American citizen has been accused of a war crime, mm. they don't believe in the war crime court. So they don't go. That's <laughs> always, how easy it is. Right. I always find that odd that there's war crimes. Yeah. There's certain things you're not crime, allowed to do when you kill each other. Yeah. We're going to agree to kill each other, but there's certain things we can't do to each yeah. other, like torture or whatever. Yeah. You can't, um, you can't like pretend to be a different army. You can't wear a different army's uniform and then like come in and attack. How does that not show people that it's all a big ruse? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Like, uh, the fact that we have agreements, but we're fighting and killing each other. It's obviously more than just what they say. Like when you're kids, you know, you're sold at like, Oh, we got to go over and kill these people because they're bad and they're there. We want peace and they're not having our peace. You know, people we're killing aren't the people, right? It's like when we, uh, so when we went to kill ISIS most recently, mm. which is like ISIS still exists, ISIS didn't go away. Right. If anything, they killed their leader or something, right? Yeah. If anything, mm. we've only made more people probably support ISIS by bombing <laughs> towns that ISIS took over. Yeah. So like, all right, imagine if one day there's just black trucks out on the street and mm-hmm. a bunch of guys from the Catholic church who are like, this is Catholic church territory now. And you've got to go to midnight mass every mm-hmm. night and you've got to do this, that, and the other thing. And you're like, well, okay, I'll do that. I don't want to die. <laughs> and then the next day, some country like Mexico comes in and bombs this neighborhood because they don't, well, Mexico wouldn't do it. Mexico's pretty Catholic. Bad example. But some country that hates Catholics sure. comes in and bombs your neighborhood and Kills your family. To get rid of the black truck people. To get rid of the black truck. But the black truck people drove away already. They're gone. <laughs> they got the hell they, out of there. They knew that was coming. They got out of there. Now you or your family and all your neighbors are uh, dead and your houses are burning. Yeah. And, uh, and then the black truck people came back and gave you food mm. and shelter. And all. so who are you in the end of the day? Yeah. You're probably going to start grasping your rosary beads yeah. you're probably going to become a pretty de- devout Catholic <laughs> going to confession probably going to really hate the country that bombed your yeah, neighborhood it makes sense there's right? no mystery as to how ISIS was started that's all been doing man. for like decades yeah. the same thing with like Yugoslavia and Kosovo exactly just bomb the shit out of it like oh who are we killing not the people who are actually the un- like the non-peaceful people mm-hmm. killing the innocent people yeah it's pretty messed yeah indeed it is well, yeah. we gotta change yeah. it man Got to change it. Yeah. At the same time, I'm a, a realist, which is like, it's like a pessimist who wants to be an optimist. <laughs> sure. You know? Yeah. Like, You'd love for I it would, to be better, but it just doesn't seem that way to you. Yeah. And like, yeah. I would, I would peg you as an optimist in sure. that, like, you see the positive in anything mm-hmm. and like, you, you're like beyond whatever other argument, see the positive. But in I it. don't neglect, neglect the negative. No. And, and it's so maybe there's a bit of realist in it in that you understand mm-hmm. that like some things it's like, how the hell do we change it? Yeah. Uh, when, 
we don't got the money. Yeah. Get rid of <laughs> fucking money, man. So uh, it comes down to. It's got to yeah. go. Let's just make our governments and all governments' priorities right away to put food on everyone's table, put heat in everyone's house, and give them clothes on their back. Yeah. And then watch how things will change, man. Well, I think, like, what you're doing is really helpful in, like, convincing people to talk about it. Yeah. Because this, like... Uh, money, religion, and politics are mm-hmm. what you're told never talk exactly, about. Exactly, yeah. Because when people talk about it, they just, they <laughs> are like, wait, to. this is shitty. <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah. this shit could be better. Yeah, exactly. Or you realize when two people who you would think, like, if you were to put me in a room with someone from Alabama who had a Make America Great Again hat. Right. On f- face value, you're probably going to say these two people are not going to get along. Mm. Because we're probably told to not talk about politics and religion and, yeah, exactly. and money. But if we did, and we really got into it and had a long conversation like we are, mm-hmm. me and that person would find something yeah. to agree on. You would find that you're both doing the same thing, just in different ways. Yeah. And that's looking out for yourself and the ones you love. Yeah. And you just are both fed in lies. different ways. Yeah. <laughs> you both have different ideas of what the way things work. Yeah. And you both have been told that certain things cannot happen. Yeah. But that's not true. Anything, we can do anything we need to do. Would probably agree on something not even, like, well, we'd probably agree on something political, mm-hmm. about something that has to change. Yeah, for sure. To make things more fair. Yeah, well, uh, like, just to take an example, uh, Trump supporters, a lot of them support him because of his whole drain the swamp thing and how yeah. <laughs> Washington is corrupt. Yeah, it is corrupt. And so yeah. is Trump. Yeah. They're both corrupt. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's like the average person doesn't really understand how, no, I, I can only imagine in America, their government is weird. Like mm-hmm. it's got so many different departments and stuff. Like I could see how someone would just look at that and go, yeah, drain the swamp when mm-hmm. they don't really realize that he's making it worse. Yeah. You know, because they don't understand how, it works mm-hmm. type of thing. It's meant to be confounding. It it's is. It's not meant to be understandable. Especially the U.S. It's insane. They're like the way their courts and like the different levels of government. Canada's a bit more straightforward-ish, mm-hmm. I guess. That's why I, I like I'm one of the reasons, not one of the reasons why I'm optimistic, I suppose, but what gives me great optimism is the a lot of the new Democratic candidates. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about this before, and I don't necessarily think they're going to win. I don't know what's going to happen. Just the fact that they're out there and telling people the truth about a lot of things, like yeah. Yang or Williamson or uh, Bernie or uh, I don't know much about Warren, but yeah, she seems yeah. to be generally on the right path. You know what I mean? They're all – and even uh, Tulsi to some degree. Like I remember you telling me before that she's a real – warmonger as well, yeah, but she's, I didn't get uh, that impression from her when I listened to yeah, her. No. But I haven't listened to much, but I – she still, you know, she still wants to, she seems to want to help the people in general. You yeah. know? And that's the, the I vibe I got from um, Jugmeet as well. Yeah. Like, sure, he might not, like, a lot of people's defense was that he's not a politician. I'm like, well, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, <laughs> but he, he might not have the experience yeah. and he don't, uh, a lot of his policies uh, won't stand up to scrutiny. But I was like, but. Okay, that's my chickpeas. Oh, shit. <laughs> my chickpeas are done. But uh, yeah, maybe his ideas won't stand up to scrutiny exactly. But what matters is not as whether or not his policies are right. Is his intention, as in his intention yeah. seems 
forthright. He seems like he's actually trying to do better for people. He's a straight talker, too. He, um... Turn off that beep. Yeah. (laughs) Hold that thought. Cool. They've been on the whole time? What are you, slow roasting something? Yep. Slow cooker. I got, you know, I buy raw chickpeas rather than buying them in a can. Yeah. And then you just put them in the slow cooker for four hours. Oh, and that gets them all good to go. Oh, yeah. I thought you just soak them overnight. Uh, you can do that as well. But then they're slow not. I mean, if you do them from, the, uh, from a bag where they're raw, you still got to cook them at some point. Okay. You soak them to. Uh, just like rehydrate them or I something. Guess or? I, you know, I never really looked at, I never soaked them before, but I've, you know, I don't know exactly how that works. What I just know that if you take a bag of raw ones, throw them in a slow cooker, throw in a bunch of water, put it on for four hours, you got wow. perfect chickpeas. Whoa. Yeah. I've been looking to make some falafel. Oh, I have man, a bag of raw chickpeas at home. Perfect. I was just going to soak them overnight, but now I'm going to use the slow cooker. I think you still got to cook them. This has now great. turned into a cooking podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn. But yeah, what are you saying? Jug meat. Jug meat. Oh yeah. Um, he's a pretty smooth talker because yeah. like he's all about the fighting for the the working people and all this stuff. But like my man is a lawyer who drives like a sports car and has like right. bespoke uh like um uh designer suits mm-hmm. and stuff like that, right? It's yeah. like one of his turbans is probably made out of fucking a couple hundred dollars worth of silk, right? Yeah. So I remember hearing that and then being like, oh, is he really, does he really understand them? But it's like, yeah, he does. Yeah. He's an, a member of an immigrant family who grew up in like multiple different parts of Canada. Right. The fact that he does have that money is a testament to him more mm-hmm. than anything, right? It's not, he didn't come from money. Right. Type of thing. I remember you told, uh, I, I listened to that front burner episode about him. Okay. And yeah. I basically said the same thing is like, he, he just has this philosophy. I think he learned it from his father. Like, you yeah. know, like if you just got to represent, represent yourself well, you know, dress nice and show yeah. that you are respectable and stuff like that. So maybe he still has that mentality that in order to be respectable, you got to have money. Yeah. But the thing is that he's not, it doesn't seem he's about uh, having more than someone else. He should, he wants to bring everyone to his level. Yeah. That seems oh, yeah. to be his intention. Yeah. And, and I'm sure uh, there's some corruption there. You never know. There's got to be corruption. If you're on maybe, the world stage, you're corrupt to some yeah, degree. I don't know. The, a lot of the law work he did was like social stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, I don't know. I don't yeah. think most NDP politicians are too boring to uh, be involved or they've <laughs> right. never been given. Let's say other things like uh, – you always hear like, oh, the NDP, they'll never be able to form a government or like mm-hmm. they'd never be able to govern the country. It's like, how do you know? They've never been given the chance, mm-hmm. right? Um, maybe they should be given the chance to get into trouble mm-hmm. because they haven't yet. And I don't doubt that if they did get into power, yeah, there'd be something they'd do that I wouldn't agree with, right? Yeah, like, most likely. The point is... Unless the system changes. Pe- yeah, people look at politics as every four or five years you make a vote. And it's like you're winding up the car, the wind-up car, and then you just let it go. Yeah. Right? It's like, no, you made that vote. You need to own that vote and mm-hmm. continue. The election is constant. We have a, a uh, what's known as a Westminster constitutional monarchy. The queen is technically the leader of our country. Okay. But our parliament can at any time have what's known as a vote of confidence, mm-hmm. which is if the leader... And their government are doing stuff so shitty. You can have a vote. Everybody votes. 
yes or no, do we let the government continue? Members of that government, so if it would happen right now, a vote of confidence, mm-hmm. and Trudeau was messing up so bad that you could get liberal members voting to kick him out, mm-hmm. you know, to lo- liberal members voting to have a new election. Mm-hmm. Which, if we were less partisan and we had people speak up more, so, for instance, I have a liberal member of parliament for my riding. It's Seamus O'Regan. Right. He always votes with the liberals. Theoretically, if I supported the liberals, but something happened in St. John's West that the liberals did that I didn't agree with. Mm -hmm. If everybody in St. John's West kicked up enough of a stink, Seamus O'Regan would vote against his government. Okay. If he wanted to keep his job. Right. You got two options. You either, you lose your job. We vote someone in who will do what we want Mm. or you do what we want and you risk your job with your party by voting against them. Mm -hmm. We need more of that where people pressure their representatives. Right. Right. To do what they need for their local area, yeah. right? Okay, I see what you mean. Whereas most people just vote them in because they want liberal, they want red to be the leader, and then they forget about it after mm-hmm. that. Whatever. I don't. Most people don't even think that they have a representative in government that you can call them up, you can call up their office and be like, "Hey, uh, what's a federal government thing?" It's more likely for provincial. Where it'd be like your roads. My roads torn up. Mm-hmm. You can call your member of your town council. Oh, okay. I had a really bad experience at the hospital. I'm going to call up my member of my provincial parliament because healthcare is provincial. Mm-hmm. Or I don't agree with Canada selling military vehicles to Saudi Arabia. I'm going to call up Seamus O'Regan. Mm-hmm. If more people did that, instead of just being like, oh, I'm pissed that we're selling military vehicles to Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. our government's dumb and stupid mm-hmm. if more people went i'm gonna call them up and tell them that i think they're dumb tell them that right. why i think it's stupid more of them would hear it mm-hmm. they'd be inundated with phone calls right. like fuck I and can't they'd be aware you. that their voting population is not going to support doesn't them. agree what they're doing with gotcha. what they're doing right it'd be like you always get the like the cliche down in the states where it's like oh i can't get any work done because all my constituents are calling in and complaining about this i better go get something done about this oh, it's okay like, yeah you'll only get it done when you inconvenience someone else right <laughs> right that's yeah. always how it is for yeah. anything big or small mm-hmm. you'll only convince someone to do something once they understand that it's inconvenient mm-hmm. for them to mm-hmm. not do it mm-hmm. so i think like uh i guess uh, one of the big issues with why people don't like why the majority of people, especially of this generation are not being active in that kind of thing is because they're just apathetic. Super jaded. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's been so corrupt for so long. And, uh, and they're confused as well because it's like, who do you trust? Like, I remember feeling that way. Just thinking like, who can I go to for truth? (laughs) You know, the reason why I started looking within for truth is because I didn't see it anywhere. I looked, I was like, I have to find my own answers because there's no one out there telling the truth. And even when they do tell some truth, they're telling some lies. And there's no yeah. one you can trust wholeheartedly. And it just made me so disillusioned that I just felt like there was no one out there that could actually give you some answers that you desire. Yeah, and I think it all, like, in this, in certain aspect, we determine ourselves what is true or not. Yeah, of course. Right? It goes through our filter in our mind. Yeah, you know, exactly. Does it ring true to you? Yeah, yeah. so... 
there's obviously some truth, like scientifically proven truths and mm-hmm. things like that, like things that are quantifiable. But like when it comes to these social things, mm-hmm. what is the truth? What is 100% right? Yeah. Is only based on technically an opinion. Yeah, exactly. And it's perspective that, of the data. Or of your values or whatever, you know? So if yeah. that person that you're trying to convince doesn't have those same values mm-hmm. it's gonna be really hard to convince them that what you're saying is the truth yeah that's why you just gotta like the only answer i found was to like dismiss it all essentially all the political nonsense and just mm-hmm. go to the philosophical aspect of it and just yeah. realize we all require certain things in order to live and thrive and that should be our main priority yeah. anything that gets in the way of that should be dismissed humanism so humanism. that'd be, it'd be just the belief that humans should do anything within their power to further the longevity of the human race mm. with the ultimate goal being that the more harmonious, more peaceful the human race is, mm-hmm. the more we can focus on the science and all this stuff to figure out through a scientific method why we are here, right. who brought us, who made us, those religious existential yeah. Why are we, yeah, the, the who, what, where, when, and why. Yeah, like, we need to put ourselves in a comfortable exist. position so we can start asking those questions. Yeah, so that's but the humanist We can't really ask those questions yeah. when the questions we are forced to ask are, how am I going to get food on the table? Yeah, exactly. Or how am I going to pay my rent? You know what I mean? We don't have time to ask the philosophical questions because we're too inundated with all yeah. the other pressures that our society puts on us. That's, that's, yeah, with the political thing, like you and I have enough time to listen to the front burner mm-hmm. podcast or read an article right. to try and be more educated on, you know, who to vote for. Yeah. But like a single mother of three who has to work two jobs. Mm-hmm. She doesn't give a shit mm-hmm. about politics. Probably doesn't even have enough time to vote, let alone figure out who to vote for. Exactly. Or possibly hasn't been able to attain a level of education about government mm-hmm. to really even know what they're voting for. So right? those so. people that are in that position will just see a headline on Facebook or whatever yeah. that says uh, this leader wants to take away childcare. And then she's like, well, fuck that guy. Yeah. I'm not going to vote for him. Yeah. yeah and that's exactly. all it takes. Just all it takes is a buzzword then yeah. for someone to make up their mind about what is right for them politically when it's there's just too much more to it than mm-hmm. that, right? That's it's why, nuts. like, when I look into politics in general, my my barometer, I guess I'd say, uh, like, how I uh, gauge at what level they resonate with me, it's all about if they seem like their intention is to actually help people. Right. To put us, to create a better well-being for us. I don't, like... I don't really get into the weeds about like, uh, are they going to support, are they going to create more jobs or are they going to give more better health? Well, I guess better health care and childcare does uh, more uh, connect to what I'm getting at. But I don't look deeply into details. It should Um, be more the why, not the how for like, why are you into the politics? Not how are you going to do what you think is right for politics? Mm -hmm. Like, why are you in it? Yeah. And they'll all say the same thing. They'll all say they're there for the people. Yeah. But I just, I have, I guess it's just from, I don't know, uh, living the life I have. I, I kind of got a certain sense of when people are being truthful or not. Obviously there's a bias there and Mm -hmm. I'm not always right, but, you know, just I can kind of sense when someone actually is truthful about what they're saying in their mannerisms or their consistency with their argument or whatever it is. So when I watched 
that uh, debate a couple months ago before the election, um, you know, I, I immediately could see that Trudeau was not telling the truth. Yeah. Like he, he's there for his own reasons. And like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not shitting on the guy. He could very well have a proverbial gun to his head saying <laughs> yeah. that if you don't uh, support big oil or whatever the hell he supports that he shouldn't be, uh, SNC Lavalin, then we're going to take you out. Or I don't know if it's that severe. It might be just like, you know, uh, he'd lose his job, right? He'd lose he his be, job. The Liberal you know, Party would look for a new leader type exactly. if they lost. So he's looking out for himself. He's looking out for his own family, just like everybody in the whole world is, you know yeah. what I mean? So this whole business of hating on people and calling them down to the dirt and just saying that person's needs to be taken out and we need to like put them in jail and all that kind of stuff. Sure, they might need some, they might need to be their job taken away. They might need to be put in jail. Who knows? Yeah. But that shouldn't be the main objective is to just punish them. The main objective should be to actually address the problems that they're not addressing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the I feel bad for a lot of people in politics more, more than anything. Yeah, me too, man. But at the same time. Yeah. They always end up doing something that's like, all right, now you're a bit of an idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, for like, for Trudeau and the liberals, the liberals try and like toe the line between left and right. Mm -hmm. So they're always constantly trying to make both sides happy. Mm -hmm. You're always going to make another side angry. Yes, of course. And it gets to a point where, um, yeah, the liberals made me happy by legalizing marijuana. Mm-hmm. But they put the entire market in the hands of big corporations. <laughs> yeah, they made it a so monopoly. So one very leftist thing that they did. <laughs> yeah. And one extremely right-wing yeah. thing that they did. Totally. And it just pisses me off. And yeah. it pisses off the right-wing people that it's legal. Yeah. Pisses off the left-wing people that it's not legalized the right way. Yeah. It's, it's putting money in the hands of corporations. So exactly. you've just, no one's happy. <laughs> and the same thing with SNC-Lavalin. Yeah. It's, all right, 10,000 people need jobs in Quebec. Mm. But also... The government shouldn't have the power to interfere with the justice system, what's right and what's wrong, mm. dependent by our courts, right? But there's people in Quebec who think, yeah, they 100% should, when my job is on the line, be able to step in and say, no, keep these jobs. Right. So there's always, no matter what, I think, there's always going to be someone on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. Was at the root of all this, it's always back to scarcity. Yeah. You're, like government, here's a bunch of money. How are you going to do it? Are you going to give it to these people? Or are you going to give it to these people? Are you yeah. going to support this system? Or are you going to support that system? And then if you support one, you can't support the other all the way. There's always going to be someone in lack. And that whole concept of that someone's going to have and someone's going to have not is always going to create tension. And it's always going to create a fighting idea, a competitive idea between the two sides. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, until you get... Until you get rid of that whole idea that there actually is lack, then we're not going to really get anywhere productive. And yeah, that I mean, that works for most material things. But where I, I don't know, I just had the idea that, you know, okay, lack of, of a product or scarcity of like food or money or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But then it comes down to we still live in a society where people have different opinions on what a woman can do with her body sure right mm -hmm. so mm. even even if okay 20 years from now people who think that a woman shouldn't be allowed to get an abortion they'll be a huge minority mm -hmm. and we'll probably pass laws that 
will be like, okay, a woman can have free abortion no matter where, no matter how old, no one's permission needed, mm-hmm. complete freedom right. for their bodies. There will still be someone, some group of people that'll be militantly pissed off by mm-hmm. that, right? Because mm-hmm. they believe that the one, you know, that the truth of that matter is that they have to have that kid, mm-hmm. that they shouldn't be allowed to abort that that fetus. Right. Well, I see two different things there. I see that. Where it comes down to like religious, moral things like that, where it's like, I think I know what's right in that matter mm-hmm. because I don't really believe in any re- one religion. I don't believe right. in strictly saying you can and can't do this with your body. Mm-hmm. I think you should be able to cut yourself in two and sew yourself back together if you want to. <laughs> yes, you know, agreed. like yeah. people who have split tongues, it makes me want to puke when I see someone with a split <laughs> tongue, like body mod. Yeah, there's yeah. body mods out there I don't want to see. But you'll fight to the death. Oh for the hell right yeah! To, to do it, I right? want yeah. you to be able to stretch your labray piercing so yeah. that you have two mouths. Okay, Go so for it. I think of <laughs> like when you say that, I think of there are people who don't want to support abortion because there's actually funding going to it. Oh, what do you mean? Like Planned Parenthood yes. and stuff like that. So like that is a big, that is a portion of it. But then like you say, there's the religious fanatics, but that idea of religious fanaticism, is that a word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that comes from the idea to latch to an ideology that will give you answers. So, and okay. you oh, only yeah. search for those answers when you are in trying times. If you are so taken care of in a society a there. and yeah. there's still that lack, you know, you go to your church for answers, you go to your church for support. So your church gives you that. And then you put all your faith into the church because it's given you everything you wanted. It's given your family all the answers. So that's why you're so indoctrinated to this ideology. But Mm -hmm. if you weren't raised that way, like if we weren't in a society of lack, we wouldn't have such extreme ideologies. Yeah. It's the same as the politician doing the thing they don't really believe in to keep their job. Right. You support that cause because you believe that if you don't support it, you're not going to get the end result from the end result of any religion is heaven or some sort of reward life after this life. Right. So people would militantly fight against abortion because they were told by the person who's promising yes. them this perfect life the after salvation. life. That if you don't fight against it, mm. too bad. You're not getting exactly. into our secret And they club. want a relief from this life because this yeah. life is fucking Sucks. arduous. <laughs> well, no, I think this life's deadly. But. Right. But like the reason why people, uh, not the only reason, but a big reason why people uh, attach themselves to uh, religious ideology is because they have that existential crisis of yep. what am I and the, who am uh, I? Oh, why, where does my value come from? Transformative uh, properties. So there's all these different properties to religion. There's the existential, why are we here? Mm-hmm. Who put us here? So that's why people believe in God. Right. Then there's the transformative, which is right. the like what you need to do to yeah. correct that problem right to make it right and then there's like i think it's the transcendent which is like after life mm. you want yeah you've got to have this promise of something better mm-hmm. but my mind goes to i i remember being like i don't know 13 or 14 and learning in health class that when when you were conceived there were like 10 million sperm and you were the one that wanted out right cool you've there you go you're in heaven life is isn't life the ultimate lottery. Mm. You were one out of 10 million could have been any other of those 10 million. You wouldn't be who you are today. Right. You wouldn't have gotten to experience life. Uh-huh. So this, is this not 
heaven. Right. Okay. I see what you mean. Isn't yeah. This the cool experience we should all be like drinking. We should be a lot more grateful of. for the fact that we won yeah. that genetic lottery. Yeah. And trying to experience as much of it mm-hmm. because you're only getting one. Yeah. So they say. Yeah. So some say. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a pretty good bet. Yeah. That when you die, it's going to be like when you go to sleep. Yeah. Except you're just not going to wake up. <laughs> yeah, right? That's, I, I think, I, I, most I I have chances. different ideas on that. <laughs> I think it's infinite, man. I think it goes on forever. Yeah? There's no end to awareness. You may not be Greg Collins after this life. You might not remember a thing about Greg Collins. But the fact but that you are aware. I? Okay. Just the force of being itself beyond your physical body. Just the energy that drives all things is okay. what you are. When you let go of all yeah, the your physicality energy has to matter. exist still. Yeah. So your your physical energy, your physical atoms will degrade into food for microbes. Yeah. But the consciousness aspect of being aware will uh, basically okay. attach itself to something else. Something else. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's and t- that's uh, like, kind of Hinduist. Yeah, Hindu, essentially. Uh, yeah, that's like. Times. Now, would you see that that's on a cyclical? Thing. Like, have we? So, someone who's a true practitioner of Hinduism mm-hmm. would believe we've had this conversation before, right? I think it's they have like a twenty six thousand year cycle. Okay, so yeah. twenty six thousand years ago, we had this conversation, and we will have it again in twenty six thousand years. Mm, I don't know much about that. And we will, you know, we will die, and we will be reincarnated, and go through all these cycles, but it's all cyclical. Mm. It'll always happen again. Well, I think it's something has to be different. Because if nothing yeah, I was... I don't believe in the cyclical. I believe in right. linear. Yes. Um, I think if the same thing happened, it would just occupy the same space, so to speak. So it would be the same thing. If it's the same exact conversation with no difference whatsoever, then it it wouldn't be happening again because it's just the same thing. Like there's no, mm-hmm. there's no separation between the two events. Now say if uh, I spoke a different language... And you spoke a different language, but we said the exact same words. That would be a separate event because there's a characteristic that's different. But they'd be parallel in like the grand scheme of things. You'd have two parallel lines being like these two incarnations of human are having the same exact conversation, but they're speaking in different languages. So that separation with that minor characteristic splits, bifurcates the line of existence into two, creates two different realities. But the fact that they're two, if me and you are having the same conversation again, the same way and there's no difference whatsoever, then they'd just be the same thing. There wouldn't right. be any bifurcation. But I do believe in the sense that um, there is no, time is not actually linear. It's just a perception that we, that's just the way we experience time. But okay. I believe that everything that has, has ever happened is happening at once. Like, take this for an example. If you were to um, see our entire universe happen a blip of a second, all right. So say there's a higher dimension of reality that sees our universe as uh, this singular uh, expression of an electron in in yeah. a field, and it, it comes into existence and then goes out instantly. Uh-huh. And f- from our perspective, there's no measurable time between its existence and its death. There's no, like, uh, we can't measure how many milliseconds or whatever it was from the second that it came in to the second when it was just an instant thing. So from that greater perspective... All of that happened at once. See what I mean? Like our entire universe had just happened at once. So from a higher perspective, all of this is happening at once. From a lower perspective, it's even slower than we're experiencing. Oh, yeah. 
relativity, I guess. In, yeah, in there's sense. no there's no definitive way to say whether or not it all happens at once or it all happens in linear time. Both are true. It depends on your perspective of it. Yeah, I like to believe in uh, infinite realities. Mm-hmm. In that, like everything we're doing right now, there's infinite variations of what we could right. do. Mm-hmm. Even every sound of every word, anything yeah. could be different. There's a reality where a plane's engine falls on us right now. Right. There's a reality where I pull out a gun and shoot you. There's right. a reality where you pull out a shoot, gun and shoot me. Exactly. But then there's also infinite realities where you pull out the gun a millisecond later. Right. And a millisecond later than that. Anything that anything, is possible, yeah. anything that could happen, is happening, is happening concurrently at all times. And that's, that's, Im- yeah, that's a cool that's way to think about it. That's implied with the idea of infin- infinity in yeah. general. Because if yeah. infinity exists, yeah. which makes the most sense to me. Then it should exist in everything. Then... Everything that could happen happens. Yeah, it's on. It's unlikely because, like, even though it's possible for, like, take your example to pull out a gun and shoot you right now, it's just highly unlikely that it would ever happen because with the level of consciousness I'm at, I have no desire to hurt or destroy you whatsoever. I have no means, so it's like. But it's also that within this reality, the the series of events that led to right now. Mm are the events that we're on. Exactly. But in so that just, reality, the series of events that led to this, it could be very reasonable for you to do that, right? Yeah. There could be a different it's reality to, where we're having yeah. a totally different conversation and it's a lot more contentious and we actually have reasons to uh, not like each other or something yeah. like that. So that there is a reality where you and I are having a conversation and one of us kills the other one. But it's it's not this one leading up to now. Something it, else happened because everything else in that universe is probably maybe not down to that one moment. There's yeah. probably another. It's like a butterfly. Well, for one, and I would have had to have some point went and got a gun. Yeah, you know what I mean. So that That's this wouldn't be the same that reality. In this reality can't happen because exactly. you haven't gone to get the gun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if so it has to be more than one different thing. But there is reality. a reality where I do this as opposed to. Doing that. I'm in the reality where I did them Whoa, both. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's a reality where the pen didn't land on my phone. Yeah, you know exactly. What I mean? Or it was a millimeter to the left. Because I dropped it a little bit differently. So, yeah, sure. Anything that could happen is happening <laughs> always. It's yeah. just a matter of our perspective. But um, what was it I was saying about the, the religious... Uh, ideology, the attachment to the ideology itself is what creates that mentality that you believe you have the right to tell someone else to do with their body. I don't believe I have that right. If you want to kill yourself, you want to kill anyone else. I believe, like, I don't, I wouldn't condone it and I wouldn't support it and I would probably try to stop it if you tried to hurt yourself or hurt someone else if I was in the vicinity. But I don't believe in, in rights, so to speak. I don't think anybody can be told, I don't think I can tell anybody what to do or what not to do. If you want to create your own reality in any way, shape or form, that is your right to do so. So, um, I think if, um, if somebody was familiar with that concept and believed it wholeheartedly as well, like they were properly educated and they were given everything they need and they never had an, an, any motivation or any need to attach themselves to an ideology that promised them salvation after their hard life, then they would understand that if somebody else wants to abort a fetus in their own body, that is their right. So Mm -hmm. if we're in a free world, nobody would have the audacity to say, you can't do that. Now, like there are, like, again, I don't even think of one as either right or wrong. I don't think of abortion as completely right, like blanket 
term, it's all right or it's all wrong. I think it's all depending on the situation. Oh, yeah. So, like, and I don't think anything I mean, is truly yeah, right or wrong Yeah, you could have someone general. who's intentionally getting pregnant yeah. to intentionally, you know, that's the, yeah. that's the absolute extreme. Sure, yes. There will always be a wrong way to do something. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah, there's, that's, I don't think that's ever happened. Like, <laughs> no. it might have happened. You never know. That's a weird hobby to have. We have <laughs> we have the potential for uh, extreme psychosis. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. to have ideas like that, it, it could happen, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't say that it's never happened. You know what I mean? Like uh, a uh, a woman might get so uh, vindictive over uh, a lover she had that she would intentionally get pregnant with his child and then abort it just to hurt him. Yeah. So in and that that's, case, yeah, you're getting into real. Like, I I would still but say, but again, it's I wouldn't. Right I wouldn't it. tell her she's not allowed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's probably, even in the case where it's like, yeah, I'm going out and getting knocked up every weekend and getting an abortion for kick, like kicks yeah. and giggles. <laughs> right, yeah. I would still be like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Maybe at, I don't know, maybe at that point we won't publicly fund your hobby. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a weird fucking uh, hobby. Cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. yeah, those are the kinds of, I guess, uh, political. anybody else. <laughs> I said, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, yeah. question mark. And then, like, I guess I understand why people are against it. I get it. Like, yeah, there is being a life created. And at what point do you consider it a life and what point do you don't? And we're not far removed from, like, that being truly a miracle. It was 100 years ago that, like, if you got pregnant, you saw the full term of your pregnancy and you had a, a baby when it was right. born. That was like, whoa. Right. You beat the odds. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. So we're not far removed from from older generations understanding that, like, whoa, the gift of life. Mm -hmm. The gift of life. It's exactly. a miracle. It's like, well, we got too many people now. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes that life is entered into a shitty life mm -hmm. because, and, and you know what? We could have predicted it was going to be shitty right. before they were born. So maybe, and then medical science progressed, I guess, to the point where it was like, yeah, if she can't pay to feed herself and clothe herself, mm -hmm. why do we think she can do that for herself and the baby? Mm -hmm. I feel you know? as if everyone has their own right over their own being. And if somebody is aware enough they have the right to recognize that they are not equipped to do a certain job. Yeah. And if a woman, say, gets pregnant and she realizes, even if she's financially well off, but she's not mentally stable, like maybe she realizes that she has a lot of anger issues she's got to work on, she could say, I am not equipped enough at this point in my life to take care of another being. Therefore, I'm going to end the pregnancy. Yeah. I think that's... Think fully within their decision to do. Yeah. Like you don't need, you don't need to it. explain to someone else your reasoning for it. Yeah. It's like, yes, it's a potential life, but guess what? I have a life. Yeah. And if it's going to ruin it, mm -hmm. why? Like, mm -hmm. why do that? It's, uh, there's got to be a great analogy for it where it's like, I can make a sandwich. But if I know that all I've got is bread and butter and cheese whiz, I know it's going to be a shitty sandwich. <laughs> so I don't have to make it. I got everything there to make it. Right. It's in the cupboard. I don't have to. Shouldn't have to. Shouldn't be forced to make that sandwich. Right. <laughs> you should be able to wait until you're at a point in life where you got lettuce and tomato and bacon <laughs> yeah. and mayo. And you can make a proper sandwich and like yeah. do it the way you want to basically do things the way you want to do it. Mm -hmm. Have the kid when you want to have a kid. Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. So 
Holy crap. I think like <laughs> highly more higher evolved beings recognize that. Like if you recognize yourself as someone who's not equipped, you wouldn't take on that responsibility because you're aware that you will yeah. not be able to do it to your fullest ability. And that's just a, a, a marker, uh, an indicator of someone who's more highly evolved. They understand yeah. that they're not ready to do it, so they won't do it. I'm not going to take on a job where I drive a crane because I'm not fully say. equipped to yeah. drive a crane. Someone handed me the camera at work. Mm-hmm. You're going to shoot the next scene. I'm like, well, no. <laughs> like, I would try to refuse. Yeah. Or, I, or I would tell them, well, it's going to be a really bad scene. Exactly. When I do it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that's where humans, because I've always heard an argument of like, no other animals support. <laughs> it's like, well, no other animals know how to use a scalpel or <laughs> right. have painkillers right. or, you know, no other animal is able to step back from their situation and be like, hmm. Yeah, ask questions about it. got a Ponder. bad season coming up. Probably yes, shouldn't exactly. have a puppy right now. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Although someone at work was talking about how they were on a safari. It's like, hmm questionable vacation choice going on a safari but they're on a safari and they witnessed like an antelope or something mm-hmm. reverse birth their child they were like they were in the middle of childbirth and a predator showed up and they like sucked the baby back up Whoa. Into, yeah, I, I didn't know, know that was a thing a tangent, but uh, yeah that's a thing <laughs> that's a thing oh. they were like oh not a good time I'm but, gonna have this baby later that's like, crazy <laughs> ran away yeah I when they told me the story, I thought they were going to say that they had the baby quicker, mm-hmm. left it for the predator, and ran away. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that seems way more like an animal kingdom yeah, type of thing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, and, uh, but can goes. you think of any other, uh, I guess, examples of uh, policies or anything like that that would? Mm, oh, it would be hard to have a black and white, like, all right, this is clearly for the better type of thing. Yeah, sure. Um, I think currently you'd have. You have a lot of people that like look really badly on EI and welfare mm-hmm. as it is right now. Right. It's, it's a program that like doesn't meet their needs and is mm-hmm. really hard to get on for some people. Mm-hmm. I think if you expanded that, you'd get more and more people who feel like, I guess they've worked and they didn't get anything for free. So I feel it's hard to convince people that letting people have money and not work is a good idea. I think there'd be a big class of the population who wouldn't buy into that, which is okay, in the yeah. end of, of expand, like making it easier to get EI or welfare or like the universal basic income type mm-hmm. stuff. Cause yeah. I mean, it comes to a point where we're going to be able to automate enough jobs that there aren't going to be enough jobs for people. Right. And if we have everything as a self checkout and mm-hmm. everything is made by robots mm-hmm. and stuff like that, we're going to have to have a universal basic income. Right. You'll always have someone who's a banker or like a manager of a store who will turn around and say, well, why should I and my company get Mm. taxed extra to pay for these people who aren't doing anything? Mm -hmm. But it all comes down to, well, well, don't you want that person to be able to feed their kids? Yeah. That's another thing that's alleviated. You still have a higher, you know, it would always be that you would have the higher standard of living than that person. Mm -hmm. Why look down on them? Yeah. You still have it better than them. Well, from someone who comes from a place of a lot of privileges, mm-hmm. I can tell you that when I am taken care of and the fact that I have been taken care of, like I've had a very supportive family my whole life, yeah. 
when I'm in that place where I have nothing to do, so to speak, I don't want to do nothing. Yeah. I want to get out there and help. Like, that's, that's why I am point. the way I am is because I've been given this privilege. I mean, Nobody wants to do nothing. No, but I like, was on EI for a year and I almost exactly, went insane. Right? Exactly. I've been I on EI hobbies. twice, I think, maybe three times. And each time I was like, what am I going to do with my year off? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. What am I going to do? First, I was like, stoked. At first, it was all about self-improvement. I was yeah. like, I need to better my life. So I'm going to yeah. work on myself. And I was like, I'm going to start exercising and all this shit. And then the second time around, because um, I don't remember what was the second time around, but the third time around is when I started like making videos on YouTube, trying to like get the word across that we can all help each other and stuff yeah. like that. Because I don't feel fulfilled. Just like I enjoy like, like my go-to for entertainment is TV. Like that's what I grew up on. It was yeah. basically my parents in many ways. Yeah. So I, I go to TV for just uh, just to relax, I guess. But after an hour or two hours, three hours of watching TV, I don't feel fulfilled. If anything, yeah. I feel this lack in myself. Like what have I just done with the last three hours? Yeah. And there's like a one big thing that's really uh, – evident in our generation is video games. Yeah, People can play video games say, for 12, 15 hours straight you get easily. get that accomplishment out of it. Exactly. Level up. And you got the item. You, exactly. You've, you've got something that you can tangibly So it's much like, more rewarding it. than maybe TV might be. Yeah. But at the same time, a lot of people are going to that for connection as well. Most people True. play World of Warcraft because they have a fucking family on there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you have that in your regular everyday life, and like, I'm not saying any of these things, whether it be TV or uh, video games are not something we should be doing you just need you recognize that once you do it for so long there's something else you want to do if you're sitting down every day just playing video games or just watching tv while you know that the world around you is crumbling you're not going to feel happy and fulfilled about your life you're going to have desires to do something about it i used to play an immense amount of video games and a lot of like world of warcraft type games Mm -hmm. where it was a multi massively multiplayer you're leveling up you're getting items you're accumulating wealth in the game right you you want to get rich you want to have the best armor you want to have the most exactly you want to be able to buy whatever you want in the game and you want to have a bunch of friends in the game so you got to be good at the game and all Mm -hmm. that stuff Mm -hmm. i find when i apply that mentality to woodworking or Mm -hmm. something else like i used to Go into those games like, all right, I'm going to play this for eight hours. Almost mentally prepare myself for how long I was going to play it. Yeah. Same thing for the woodworking. If I get up in the morning, all right, I'm going to do this for eight hours, and this is what I'm going to do. Right. At the end of the day, when you have something physical in your hands that you made, mm-hmm. I still get that same feeling when I play a video game sometimes. Right. You get the same dopamine release or yeah. whatever, but there's nothing. That's it. You mm-hmm. did it. You accomplish it. You can look at it for a little while, but it doesn't, it's not permanent, right? Mm -hmm. When you can create something permanent, like make a piece of music or a piece of artwork or a movie or something like that, Mm -hmm. you can go back to it afterwards and continually feel that reward, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I also think about it as like, uh, to me, it's, it's about the joy of the experience anyways. When you're, it's not about, your finished art project. It's, it's the experience of, the creating, experience it. of creating it. Yeah. And when you, you could do that forever. Like when you say that you, if you had the time and like, if money wasn't a factor, you would do your woodworking. But I think, I think you're still thinking in terms of scarcity and like, that's what you would do as your job. But yeah. imagine there's no job. No, exactly. But imagine if like someone's like, here's a million billion dollars. You never have to work again. 
and the world is still crumbling around you, Greg, you're not going to sit in your basement and just make wood stuff all day. No. You're going to do it as a hobby for fun. Or I would But then do at the same time, you're going to go out there and try to help people who are yeah. in a shittier situation than you. Yeah. Like one thing I've been thinking, I want to do a lot of um, street art mm. now, but still be woodworking. Right. So there's a wall. It's going to be gone actually in a few months. There's a wall downtown across from Fred's Records, a building built burnt down years ago. Okay. There's this wall, and uh, over the summer, someone put up a bunch of mummers, like these wooden mummers they had carved, and like it was this cool like folk art, and they right. put it up on the wall. And some people had graffitied it, and uh, I decided I was going to put up, I had a few of the quilt uh, pieces of artwork that I made. Mm-hmm. So I just put shellac on them and screwed them up onto the wall. And then I decided that I want to try and figure out some more like maybe political, not to say Banksy, but in the same sense of sure. what he does with his art. Yeah. Make some sort of political statement art mm-hmm. with my woodworking and install it somewhere. Like on a hiking trail, I can screw it into a tree. Okay, sure. Or yeah. onto a side of a building or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do now. Because I guess you still could use your time to create, but... I want to use it to also make a statement, I mm-hmm. guess. You're creating something that creates more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, like you the can icebergs create... I make, they're just for looking at. Yeah. But I want to make something that makes someone think. There's a joy right? of creating something, and just the joy of creating it is a great joy. And then there's a joy of creating something and sharing it with someone else, and then they have your artwork on the wall, and everyone who comes into their house mm-hmm. is like, oh, that's a beautiful iceberg you have there. And then, you know, you get that extra joy of knowing that other people are enjoying your work. But then there's the next level of joy that you get that you create something and it creates more change or uh, positivity in general. Yeah. Like like you said, if you create something that's political and you put it in the woods and everybody who hikes past it goes, wow, I never thought of that before. Or takes a picture of it. Takes a picture of it. That, right? Then yeah. you are contributing to something greater. You are helping fix the issues that we face. Yeah. Because- I've often heard this in like the the spiritual community is this is the only game in town is to do good for everyone. That's the only thing to do. You know, there's no other point to do anything. Right. You know what I mean? If you are, and like, when I say for everyone, I don't mean just go out and be super altruistic and sacrifice yourself in, in the favor of someone else in order to help anyone, you got to help yourself first. So if, if you, if you are not in a good state mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you your number one job is to work on yourself. Yeah. And then after that, once you feel stable enough to start spreading that help, then your job is to do that. And then when everybody in the world is free, you build spaceships and go out into the friggin' space <laughs> to find <Only> other <laughs> planets that need help. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's the only thing to do. What else is there to do in this reality but help and love and share and create? Right. Yeah. It makes no sense to do anything else. Anything else is just self-serving. It's true. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, man. Fuck. That was a, I think that might've been a pretty good conclusion. It felt natural, right? <laughs> yeah. It felt organic. Yeah. I think we're approaching like what we said, three, three hours, hours now anyways. Yeah. Yeah. All, all right. Well, fuck. I guess we'll call it a day, man. Yeah, man. That was excellent. Thanks I'm, for coming by. Oh, no problem. Thanks for being the first guest on the Further Liberation Podcast. After listening to this podcast, I realized um, that when we got on the topic of abortion, my ego started to chime in with the awareness that it was a controversial subject and it may be very easy to offend or upset someone. So I started to trip over my words a little bit and I was not as clear as I would have liked to be in how I see the matter. 
I stated at one point that I don't believe in rights, so to speak. And then I went on to say that we have certain rights. So I just want to clear up the dissonance there. When I say that I don't believe in rights, I mean is actual, tangible things. Rights don't have a concrete existence. They are a concept or an idea that we all agree upon and grant one another. They have no real stance in reality without our minds and our belief systems. They are not an innate part of existence. When I say that everyone has the right to do what they please in their life, I mean we technically all have the ability or the freedom to do as we please. That's not to say that there wouldn't be consequences to our actions. It is just to acknowledge the factual nature that we possess abilities to act in whichever way we desire. There is nothing inherently present in our reality to prevent us from making certain choices, only that which we create in an attempt to prevent. We are all granted our own bodily autonomy, not because it is necessarily a God-given right, but that it is simply true. You decide what you do. I was merely stating that fact. My position on how people choose to live their lives and what decisions they make is entirely a neutral one. I say at some point that if you want to kill yourself or kill someone else, that I don't believe I have the right to tell someone what to do or what not to do. The truth is that there are things that I choose to do and choose not to do. In the majority of situations, I would choose not to kill myself and choose not to kill someone else. But I cannot tell or force someone to abide by what I would do. But I would be happy to share knowledge with them that might change their mind about their decision to do either. But it is not my right to forbid you from doing anything or demanding that you do something else. I do not have dominion over anyone but myself. As for the topic of abortion itself, I think we must recognize our role as part of the whole. We choose to do what's best for all, not simply the life of the mother or the life of the child, but both, and even those beyond the two. So before the point of physical separation of the infant from the mother, the infant is an extension of the mother's being, meaning she has full responsibility for it and has full dominion and authority over it, because at that point, the child literally cannot decide for itself. So it's up to the mother to decide what would bring about the most desirable outcome for both of them. After the birth and the infant is separated from the mother, the level of dominion or responsibility over the infant decreases as the child becomes more and more independent. The mother goes from being an arbiter of the child's decisions to simply a guide and a teacher and eventually to a companion. In this free world that I often talk about, I believe abortion would be extremely rare. Right now, it may be necessary in some circumstances because it would be the responsible decision to recognize when one might be ill-equipped to raise a child or when one is trapped in an environment that would be detrimental to the child's well-being. To ignore these possibilities would be in some ways more cruel than the abortion itself. But as I said, if we were all free, all of our essential needs were met, and we had a greater understanding of who we are, in the situation of an unplanned pregnancy, the child would be born, 
provided that it would not be problematic to the health of the mother or the baby. And it would be raised uh, by the community, most prominently the elders, with the assistance from the actual parents. But the existence of the child would not in any way be a hindrance to the growth, be it mentally, physically, or spiritually, of the parents themselves. The further we move into a truly liberated society, the more the necessity for things like abortion will decrease. So I just wanted to clarify what I was meaning to say in the original recording. Thank you for listening.